This week, we welcome back Corey Thune, co-founder at Gravwell, to talk about Gravwell's Big Bang release. In our second segment, we welcome Siddharth Bhatia. He's a PhD student at National University of Singapore to discuss Midas, Siddharth's research that finds anomalies or malicious entities in real time. In the security news, bug and widely used bootloader opens Windows and Linux and other devices to persistent compromise, a vulnerability that allowed brute forcing passwords on private Zoom meetings, Russia's GRU hackers hit U.S. government and energy targets, a new tool that detects shadow admin accounts in AWS and Azure environments, uh, boot hole, again, the secure boot threat, which I talked about earlier, found in every Linux distribution, Windows 8 and 10. So we'll talk about that story at least twice. And how hackers broke into real fake news sites to plant fake stories. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. The biggest problem in security that remains unsolved is flat networks inside the cloud and data center that allow threats to move laterally and compromise vulnerable targets. But micro-segmentation using traditional firewalls is too complex and time-consuming. There's a better approach, Edgewise Zero Trust Auto Segmentation. Edgewise is impossibly simple micro-segmentation. Using the identity of machines and software that are communicating, Edgewise offers the strongest protection that adapts automatically to changes. Protect any application in any cloud without any changes to your network by visiting Security Week com forward slash edgewise and welcome to the show but first let me introduce you to a man who like providing proper attribution it's always hard mr paul asadori welcome <laughs> to paul security weekly it's episode number 660 recorded on july 30th <laughs> 2020 right here in g unit studios in rhode island you all right there, Tyler? Ty Tyler's on the lines remotely. Hey, Tyler. <laughs> Tyler's like, God. <laughs> did you mean <laughs> to mute or were you commenting on Larry's? You did mean to mute. Okay. Oops. Well, it's nice to have you here Oops. with us, Tyler. Where is the Stuxnet poster? <laughs> it fell down because, you know, radiation and uh, global warming, etc. 5G radiation. 5G makes, radiation. Makes everything unstick. That's right. <laughs> uh, Including brain cells. Doug White's sticking around in studio Sticky. this evening. Yes, I welcome. am. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking around. And you have your uh, disposable funny T-shirt on for the I, evening. I do. I have my disposable funny T-shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> Doug is the man who literally give you the T-shirt off his back I after will. the show. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to see that. All right. Uh, Mr. Larry Pesce is here with us remotely. Welcome, Larry. Uh, it's good to be back. It's been too many weeks, and uh, we'll hopefully I'll be back in studio soon, maybe, depending on how all this stuff goes. Yes, you're welcome to come back in studio. I think we're still within uh, the state guidelines for having yep. uh, 
well, we we went away for a week, so yes, now yeah. we're back in state, so now we kind of have to like quarantine ish gotcha. for two weeks. So, gotcha. Yeah, we're Miss- we're following the state guidelines too. That's that's good. I mean, I think we should, right? Mr. Jeff Mann is here with us, reporting live from the Tiki Bar. I wish, I wish it it didn't hit me until today, where I'm like, oh my god, we're not going to be in Vegas next week. We're not going to be at Frankie's. I'm having, I'm, and we're not going to be at Frankie's. I'm having a little bit of withdrawal pains, but. Uh, it is what it is. It's it. You're virtually at Frankie's. I am virtually at Frankie's. You need a portable Frankie's that just travels around and you could go. Right? There. Yeah. It's like yeah. In, a, in the back of a semi-truck or something. And That'd you be awesome. Get in. Yeah, it would be a good idea. That's actually a really good idea. I know. Mr. Lee Neely is here with us. Lee, welcome. Hey, good to be here. We're hanging out here and uh, not not so quarantining here in, in my house. We've been, home, we've been here for five months. Hmm. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, on the news this morning, I live in Maryland, and Maryland announced 10 or 15 states that they recommend Maryland citizens don't travel to, and <laughs> Idaho popped up. Uh-oh. Mm. We won't be Good. coming to see you for a little while. Sorry, Lee. Yeah, everyone should just stay out of Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> We're full. Tyler's like, I'm here in my bunker. Just everyone stay away. It's better that way. <laughs> Less Wi-Fi congestion. Uh, Security Weekly is an official media partner for a Virtual Black Hat 2020. You can register and save $200 off of the Virtual Black Hat Conference this year. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash summercamp2020. Click the register button. The discount code is 20secweekbh. Alongside Virtual Black Hat, we will be running conference micro interview series. You guessed it. That's right. Virtually. An event called Security Weekly Virtual Hacker Summer Camp. August 3rd through the 6th. If you're interested in booking an interview for your company where you can tell the world about why your product is the best and better than anyone else's, options and pricing are available on the same page. Reserve your slot now to get your message out there. There's a lot of great micro interviews. In fact, the researchers at Eclipsium will be doing a micro interview. We'll be talking about their research tonight. Um, there is a, a list of requests we have for Black Hat speakers um, that Matt and I have submitted. So we uh, handpicked some. Hopefully, we get some of those on the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you tune in next week. No stranger to Security Weekly, Corey Thune is the founder of Gravwell and has spent over a decade doing cybersecurity at places like the Department of Energy, National Labs, Digital Bond, and IOActive. He doesn't write much code today, but still remains technical. You can find out more at securityweekly.com forward slash Gravwell. Corey, welcome to the show. Hey, always (laughs) glad to be here. Yes, I should say you don't write much code for your product today. I'm assuming you still dabble in various other things time i mostly time yeah i mostly use the product these days which is right. uh which is great anyway which but, is good uh, and you got a lot of great features that you're building in this release which is good dude uh i'm real excited yeah and uh you can see okay now right you look you look yeah you look good. in, you look in good. case anybody who's actually watching the video feed uh does look at my eyes and think i might be high as shit uh i am not <laughs> i had lasik surgery last week so likely so recovering there yeah. that's, what, that's what we always tell the troopers <laughs> there's lasik yeah, surgery exactly. all the time i don't know what's going on it just didn't that's work story <laughs> i'm sticking to it did you watch unshin andalu before you went to that a what? Unshinandalu. Okay. No. You, I, I after the show, I go back through all of your references, <laughs> kind of like when I watch Archer or Family Guy or uh, Ren and Un, Stimpy. Or uh, Unshinandalu was a, a movie that was made. I said after the show. Oh, okay. All right. I'm out. That's it. <laughs> Just Google it. Anyway, Corey, 
Uh, so we are going to talk about the new release uh, that you have coming up at Gravwell. You have a community edition and a commercial edition. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear about the new features that you're building into the upcoming yeah. release. Absolutely. And, and thanks for the chance to talk about it. I'm, I'm actually going to hope that we keep this interview a little bit short because I'm going to do a little live uh, section where we uh, pull in some data and then get some dashboards up and rolling quickly. Um, and so hopefully, you know, the shorter that is, that's the goal, because that's kind of the name of the game for the whole uh, release that we're putting out here is uh, making data analytics more accessible to junior analysts, to uh, people to get up and, and spun up really quickly uh, for how things go. So, yeah. And we were kind of touching on uh, in, in our prep call, Corey, that, um, you know, it's more about giving the analyst and the threat hunter what they knew, need to just like basically get some shit done, right? And yep. there's this kind of other aspect of your SOC or your IT that's more of like the operational, like day-to-day. -day. We want to look for these kind of events. I almost look at like what the analyst does and the threat hunters do in a tool like Gravwell as the research division that when you uncover things, you're like, oh, this should go funnel into operations. It's really how I see the role of security uh, maturing moving forward into the future. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's That's been kind of one of our stances and one of the main reasons why we made the tool is we, uh, like, I didn't like thinking about security as a cost center to the business, right? Everybody's like, we're managing risk, we're managing risk. So you dump money in, in the hope that something doesn't happen, right? But security can be a lot more beneficial to the organization than that. Mm. If you've got, you know, a central nervous system, a hub where all these logs are going, all your network data and everything, there's plenty, like, untold opportunity there for collaboration with other teams to help accomplish the greater mission beyond just, Oh, we stopped, you know, we stopped some attack from happening or something. Yeah. And I, you know, I used to do a lot of that with uh, just straight syslog and I, I actually, I found and, and Doug, you'll appreciate this as well. Others that, you know, said and awk and grep yeah. performance wise, like I could probably write my own code in C or a scripting language like Perl or Python. I, I don't. I haven't. Python wasn't a popular, you know, no. back then. Twenty, <laughs> you know, tw almost twenty years ago. Um, and I like I found like they were pretty performant, right? Uh, Absolutely. Those, those command line tools, and even if I wrote something <laughs> in C or, uh, you know, maybe use another tool, like performance really, I didn't gain that much. And I would sift through logs, basically manually using those tools. So I'm, I'm kind of like the the old cranky person now is like, you kids have it easy with these new fangle tools, right? <laughs> we wrote our yeah. log parsing in assembly, and we liked it. <laughs> yeah, God damn it. Uh, well, we incidentally, um, I mean, that kind of drove how we originally built our query system as well, because that's how, uh, you know, that's how you just used to do it. And so um, the Gravel query language is a, a lot like the Unix command line where you take modules and you pipe them into other modules mm. and get the results out. And that's what makes it really powerful and dynamic. Um, and, and that part is still there in the tool, but sort of all the new features in the, in the release are, are about uh, uh, making that part easier. Because uh, right. uh, historically, kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, installed Gravel. Super easy. Apt install Gravel and you're done. Uh, but then we just kind of drop you on the search bar, uh, which isn't necessarily the most ideal thing, because then you're kind of like, well, what the hell do I do now? Uh, you know, or I can get data and that's pretty easy. But then you're going to docs, you're trying to search, uh, do all these things, uh, which is really powerful if you're into that kind of thing. But a lot of people aren't. And, right. and that's now, what the new uh, release Corey, is all about. You say like apt install Gravel, but then you have to be able to collect 
logs, right? Like gravel's running, right. which is great. But mm-hmm. then, like, how do you? There's modules, and you collect syslog, I'm sure, and lots of other ways, right? Yep, yep. And and a lot of our ingesters are in apt as well. Like um, like today, I'm just going to walk through uh, getting NetFlow data in, mm-hmm. and then installing our NetFlow kit. Uh, which is part of our our big feature set here that is basically it's akin to like a Splunk app uh, or some other type of thing on top of some of these guys, um, wherein you can just press the button and then you're ready to go with queries, dashboards, and all the stuff already for like the common use cases type of a thing. Well, and so and we've that's built another, up that infrastructure. And that's another religious debate, right? Full packet capture versus NetFlow. Mm-hmm. Always is. And it's, it's really interesting. I think as our networks get more complex, as we push up into the cloud, as people work from home, like the ability to easily capture all those packets uh, is is getting slimmer and slimmer, like those opportunities, right? And so I think we're more so turning to NetFlow Absolutely. to get things done because it is a record of what, what went where on what port, which can has, you know, up to a certain point, really, really good intel. I mean, I would use NetFlow in conjunction with full packet captures even 20 years ago, right? Speaking of well, religious... Uh, questions or debates uh, are networks re- are they really getting that much more complex or are we just using technology that we're not as familiar with I think the complexity Jeff ties into how you would collect telemetry I guess more disperse uh, you're getting bigger bigger as well. yeah. I mean, we're just yeah, shoving bigger, so bigger much more, more through a pipe yeah bigger and more but the, I, I I question the use of the word complexity. Is all oh. uh, you're, you're talking about a lot of VLANs, a lot of microservices, a lot of you know. Then you get into virtualization hypervisors, where you're you know taking virtual networks, hooking processes or ports to the specific VLAN that is then in a different segment, but only virtually and not physically. So, yeah, complexity definitely starts to uh, get really deep with with uh, any medium to, to large organization that we're seeing. And, and specifically, Jeff, I think the uh, networks may not be getting more complex, but how you actually capture full packets, that mm-hmm. art and <coughs> science is getting more complex, right? Yep. Our networks might be getting more simplified, right? Because they're being abstracted away. And there's less of right. the like, core network stuff left, right, Corey? Yeah, I mean, that was the tool. Uh, last time I was on the show, actually, yeah. we, we had kind of talked about that tool, like that packet capture on demand, because, yeah, doing full packet capture all the time is is uh, untenable with the data rates that we're seeing and, and just the cost of storage and everything. So it's more like you take NetFlow and then uh, uh, you've got your IDS or IPS or some type of alerting, you know, you've got your tip and then you'll go back in time and say, uh, let me grab for my packet ring buffer and right. collect in the packets. Uh, but that's our whole, that's our whole, uh, uh, paradigm we, we call it the data fusion platform because we want to get all that stuff uh, together because data is is better when it's together and it can corroborate collaborate and listen stop collaborate and listen yeah exactly <laughs> ice is back with a brand new invention but uh so we're talking about netflow specifically in this uh demonstration well that'll be the the example use case uh that i use but we've got a few uh initial kits that we're making available upon launch mm-hmm. uh there's going to be a number of them uh we've also got like zeke uh and sysmon are going to be some of the early kits that are coming out in the next few weeks um that kind of a thing this is sort of a sneak preview we don't actually publicly launch for a while mm-hmm. uh, but i will say that anybody who is listening to this at time of recording and until uh, the first two weeks in august if you do sign up for the community edition uh, we have bumped up the uh, cap 
Um, so normally it's two gigs a day uh, is what we offer free for the community edition. Just anybody can use, no questions asked. Um, just uh, go to gravel.io slash download. Uh, you can uh, submit your email and then you get the, uh, the thing. And then we don't, we don't do sales stuff on the community edition emails. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that piece. Uh, but for, for the next two weeks, uh, as part of the Gravel Big Bang release, we are bumping that up to four. So you can do uh, four gigs a day for home use, uh, research labs, uh, anything that you guys are doing uh, at, your, at your homes. Um, and for fun, uh, the, the tool's available totally free uh, for you with all the features uh, uh, that you would need for that stuff. So, so uh, Corey, uh, new features. Uh, you mentioned uh, Zeke and Sysmon. Um, what, what are some of like delineate, I guess, between the existing features and new features coming up in this release? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so kind of like I said, so basically, um, I mean, last year for us development wise was all about, uh, hitting data parity, hitting uh, performance parity with the other tools out the market, namely Splunk, uh, where we wanted to be able to exceed, uh, in terms of just data rates that you could take, uh, how big you could do it. We're doing our largest deployment was doing over hundred terabytes a day. A worth of analysis uh, and digging through and making the search query powerful. And so that was the goal uh, for the last year. But then feedback from users is, hey, uh, query language is awesome, uh, but that's a little bit tough for junior analysts. Uh, it's a little tough to get started up and quickly. So that's what 2020 is all about for us is making that usability improved. And so kits is what we've been talking about so far, which is that pre-built uh, dashboards uh, and, and sort of ready to go stuff. Um, but that's made up of our query library, which is a new feature set. Uh, where you can save queries, uh, get them in a library, share them with other users within the system. Uh, we've got actionables, uh, which is a big one, uh, uh, which uh, is also known as sort of clickities. Uh, and this is where we can have things like we can turn an IP address into a link. And so you can click a around a lot more in the user interface, uh, which previously everything was very query driven. And so if you wanted to investigate a given IP or alter something, you were altering a query. But now uh, with the new features, you can just straight up click the IP address and go to like an investigative dashboard that shows you, I don't know, their NetFlow records or every process that's executed on this IP address or whatever. All that depends on what kind of data sources you've got coming mm -hmm. into your system and what you're fusing together as part of the data fusion uh, platform. And then we've got things like macros. Uh, we added playbooks. Uh, which uh, at this uh, at this time, uh, they have like embedded searches and a couple of things like that, uh, markdown, uh, just sort of a way to document uh, within the tool uh, processes that you take and, and things that might be specific to the team. So uh, all those features kind of work together to really make it uh, easier for people to uh, get started more usable for not just your uh, you know, senior analysts who are really happy on a command line, uh, mm -hmm. which is sort of myself, which is, uh, you know, admittedly why um, myself and, and Chris, my founder, uh, co-founder, like uh, a hardcore, you know, old school Linux nerds or whatever, like that's just where you sit. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but we wanted to make it more clickable, more, more usable. So that's, I mean, that's all what the Big Bang is about. That's awesome. Uh, so do you ingest Sysmon and Zeke logs today? And the new release just is more... Uh, features along those lines or? Yeah, so uh, I, I guess let me clarify that point in in that Gravwell is uh, is unlike a lot of the other tools out there. So we built our data lake from scratch, uh, which we had to do uh, because we looked at the market and basically the market is like tools that are built on Elastic, which requires some upfront work in order to make it work just because it's fundamentally a different platform. 
and then Splunk. And that's pretty much it. Uh, like there's a lot of different Sims and, and competitors out there, but usually under the hood, nine times out of 10, it's elastic. Uh, there are a couple interesting ones like Humio. I think Devo is not, uh, is not elastic under the hood, but uh, like most things are, mm -hmm. uh, or they started as a Splunk app, which is interesting to me. Uh, but we had some problems we needed to solve. And in order to do that, we had to build uh, a data lake from scratch. Like we tried InfluxDB and a couple other time series databases, which have certainly come a long way since we started, but um, that was uh, that was it as, as we kind of came to the conclusion like, hey, we need to, we're gonna need to build this out in order to really be able to take any data. And that's what lets us, uh, basically if you can spit it to a network port or write it to a file, we'll ingest it mm. and it'll come in grab well and you can use the query syntax to start analyzing it, even if you don't know what it is uh, right. from the beginning. So yeah, so that's why we can have packets alongside NetFlow, which are both binary formats, uh, alongside your syslog uh, and sysmon. And so we have a number of ingesters that we support um, and all those are open source as well. So our, our ingest framework is all open source. We're welcome to uh, community contributions there, but more importantly, we wanted to um, sort of alleviate some of the vendor lock and risk that uh, I think is a problem in the industry when it comes to just collecting data. Uh, but we support like uh, Kafka, Office 365, uh, Windows events, uh, which includes Sysmon, um, Syslog, uh, just straight up file reading, um, any number of, of those types of things in common um, use cases. Uh, Amazon Kinesis uh, as an example for cloud so stuff. The newer features are more around the analysis being in the interface rather than uh, focused on the query language. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, yep, because we've always been yes, because we've been we've been great about being able to get data in since day one. Uh, but then getting value out of that data was on the query language, and the new features are, uh, you know, let's get that spun up quickly. Let's get uh, let's get people in there clicking around. Yeah, but stuff I like the of, journey though, because like you started out and you're like, all these other solutions aren't doing what we want to do as our mission, right? Which is, mm -hmm. it, you know, drink booze and log all the things, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> log all the things, build an engine. To for that and then work on that usability and analytics and all that stuff afterwards you needed a good foundation to build on not like you said just taking another engine off the shelf and trying to retrofit it which oftentimes can go really horribly wrong right like if anybody's you know if you've ever had to manage a, an elastic cluster or like QRadar or, or sort of a tool like that there's um there's more upfront work necessary to uh get the tool ready to receive data in a specific mm -hmm. format or you're going to normalize data uh, or something where you're uh, where you're taking the data in its raw format and sort of the ground truth, and then making it fit in the right kind of box. It's sort of that yeah, data yeah. warehouse versus a data lake type of thing. Um, which actually, in in the virtual hacker summer camp um, interview next week, that's what I'm going to be on the show talking a little bit more about. Like, what's the difference between a sim versus a threat hunting platform versus a data right. lake, and why do I want one at a different time or whatever? Gotcha. So, Sorry, Doug. Jeff. No, that's okay. Part, yeah. I, I was actually talking to somebody earlier, and we were talking about something. And I, I, I said, I'm going to have Corey. I can ask him later. Mm. Um, can you use NetFlow to trigger a full packet capture for a period of time based on events in NetFlow? Uh, this was like a forensics question because they were talking about certain things happen, and then you really wish you did have that full packet capture, even though you don't need it all day long. So, I, I, and I was like, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to see Corey later. He probably knows something about that. Uh, using our uh, our packet fleet tool, that's exactly what we do. Okay. Uh, where you can do some interesting things like that, uh, like maybe you create uh, in an OT environment, you might create a network whitelist, 
And if there's any violations on the whitelist, then I'm going to automatically grab a packet capture off of that. Uh, or you might set up statistical variants and say, hey, I have this much amount of Modbus tra yep. you know, traversing every day. If that changes, let's just grab a packet capture. Yeah, packet, packet fleet was what I was trying to remember. And I couldn't remember. I told him to watch the show and I, I would yeah, ask last him, time so. Corey was on. Yeah, he yeah, covered that. So, yep. so I remembered it. I just couldn't remember the name. So the packet fleet. Write it down. Yeah. Yep. And and that part is uh, that part's open source. It's that that's based heavily on um, Google's uh, uh, stenographer um, tool. Uh, we took and wrapped it a little bit to make it a little more friendly for those types of triggers mm -hmm. uh, and using in a distributed environment. Uh, but that's exactly what that. Uh, yeah. I had everything with the name of it. I just could not remember what that was called. And I remembered you talking about it several times. And I was like, why do I? Not? And I couldn't find it in my notes. And I knew I had it somewhere, but. That's a it's a great forensics tool uh, just to be able to do that if you think something's happening and you want to capture that data to review later in more detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, uh, packet packet capture at, at full scale is, is super rough. But if you can yeah. keep kind of a ring buffer going, exactly, and trigger based on it might be you know like maybe you trigger a snort rule or, mm -hmm. or a Zeke uh, you know event happens and so then you're going to go out and grab the capture. Uh, and that's what we wanted our platform to be able to enable. Just take all that stuff in, uh, fuse it together, uh, uh, and then you get you know better results uh, yep. out of it. So, thank you. So, Corey, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, did you want to uh, go to Joe? like demo time? Show us all the new features. Yeah. Uh, this sure, is I, and this is it. very much a a sneak preview. Yeah, uh, as it were, as uh, you probably haven't shown these features in a public forum yet. Uh, we have not. Uh, and we are, yeah, we are publicly launching in August, uh, but we love Security Weekly. I mean, I've listened to you guys for years and years and years. So um, this is exciting to come on and, and kind of sneak preview this. Only been seen previously early. in an alley in Moscow, Idaho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all our uh, it's funny that you say NBA Moscow because I, I went to school at the University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho. Oh, they get it, mad if you say Moscow. Well, okay. I never saw, heard anybody say it, so I just said some um, some guy yes. walked out of an alley and said, "Hey, you want to see something?" No, that was it. I mean, uh, you're giving me flashbacks walking around that campus listening. Maybe to you it was guys, you. So. I don't know. Somebody was somebody was trying to show me something. Uh, don't confirm talking. or deny that, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> I was neither so, here nor there. Uh, so, as far as new features, so this is like uh, so when you install Gravel, we've got a Docker container. Uh, we, we've got an apt repository. It's super easy to get up and running. Um, and so I'm skipping by that part, but really that's like that's like five minutes uh, to get so all that. Not it's not complex. It's really easy. Go ahead. Mm. Keep going. And, uh, and, and so we'll just jump right in. So what we used to do uh, is when you install Gravel, you just got dropped right on the screen, which uh, is a little admittedly rough. Um, and, and so unless you knew what you were doing or you'd read up or whatever, that's, uh, that's tougher. But now we've got sort of our kit system um, where we can show uh, available kits, or which are pre-built. Um, but I'm going to not talk about that at the moment. And instead, I'm just going to go over to the ingesters here. So uh, this is a Docker container that I'm using. I don't have any ingesters feeding Gravwell at the moment. And so on another box that I've got on my uh, network here is uh, that box is serving as my router. It's just this little you know, low CPU Intel thing uh, that I've got with a bunch of NICs in it that is uh, acting as the, the router for my uh, home office here. Wait, is it a Cotom it, device? <laughs> no. Oh, those, you can get, I bought one for like 200 and change and it has four NICs in yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. No, it's not. It's like a, it, it's not efficient. It's too big. 
Uh, it's just old hardware <laughs> that I put it together, but um, but that's interesting. Uh, and so on this machine, then I have Softflow D running to collect NetFlow data. And so I don't want to talk about how to set up Softflow D uh, or, but basically anything that has NetFlow that spits out on port 2055, which is the default NetFlow port, you can point at our Gravwell uh, NetFlow uh, ingester. ingester, right? Right, which uh, which you'll see, like we have a couple articles about that, or you can go and see the source for the ingester if you want to build it yourself. It's all a go. Um, our whole our whole infrastructure is go. Uh, but so I've got that running out on that machine uh, right now, and uh, that configuration file. Um, so all of our ingesters, I will just hit on this. Oh, I can't log in on that machine. So uh, never mind. That's in a different window. Uh, but the config file for that is uh, is very straightforward. Um, will paste bin if I just go there? Can I just paste some stuff into a thing so you guys can see it? All right, perfect. Um, and so it's like uh, we've got this global section uh, where basically what you need is an ingest secret and then an IP address that you spit it on. And then this thing uh, listens on uh, port 2055. So it's a standard like Linux config file for the NetFlow ingester. Gotcha. Very clear, clear text with an air quote secret. Uh, yes, so that's more of an <laughs> authentication. Uh, but we do support TLS and, and everything yeah. as well. Yeah, and we don't, uh, we, the whole segment would be how to configure TLS. <laughs> yeah. uh, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. I was there this, this week or recently. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Everybody's so we'll avoid that. There. And instead, uh, we'll use clear text. And uh, I'm on a trusted network here. Uh, and so I just uh, turn that service on now. And so that's where we see this uh, the flow uh, ingester is connected up. Uh, giving us like a couple records. Um, but previously, sort of in the system, when you wanted to start digging into data, uh, you'd use this query syntax here. Uh, and then that would be what gives you the records uh, for for how things come in. And then you're going to use modules to explore that and all that business, um, which is super awesome and really powerful. Uh, you definitely don't want uh, to right. you know, down talk that because uh, it's uh, my preferred way of doing things. But, you know, it's it's a little slower than if we were digging into this. So I did just literally turn this on. I'm not sure how long until, okay, so there we've got a couple of records. Here we go. Um, and so uh, so in Gravwell, uh, again, we support binary data. This is one of the sort of big differentiators as well with us compared to some of the other tools out there uh, without conversion. We want data in its native format uh, because that's uh, that makes it pristine. That gives us the ground truth. Uh, we don't want to normalize. We don't want to do any weird stuff with that. Just take the data in and start analyzing it. So anyway, we've got our NetFlow records here. They're binary, right? That's uh, human not very human readable. Uh, previously, I would have gone into and shown you a bunch of stuff uh, for how we run the search, but hell with that. Uh, instead, uh, let's just go in here. I'm actually going to uh, upload uh, these kits rather than download them from our kit server, uh, just so that I'm not taxing the bandwidth while we're on the call here. But we have a kit server out there that has these kits uh, available. And that's what we're going to, uh, that's what most people will connect up with. You can download them. Uh, you can uh, go from there. And you're gonna get this sort of prompt that describes what's in the kit. I'm Right now I'm installing our network enrichment kit, mm -hmm. which is a dependency of the NetFlow kit. And this includes stuff like the MaxMind database, ASN lookups, uh, MAC address lookups, like all the stuff that you typically wanna do if you were messing around with network data. How do I, resolve some of the stuff how do ah, i get so some like of that all, data enriched all the little like bells and whistles to make the interface uh sing 
uh, exactly. when you're adjusting stuff. Yeah, gotcha. Exactly. And then I'll go ahead and install the NetFlow kit itself. And if you install this with our kit server, all the dependencies are handled automatically. Mm -hmm. So it's not a problem. Um, but again, kind of make sure that we show everything that people are doing. Um, and we have our signed kits on the kit server. So nothing will hit the kit server that we don't sign that someone at Gravel doesn't review. But this is totally open. Like anybody can build a kit uh, uh, in the community and share those around or, or whatever. So um, uh, that's also saying. So when we install a kit, we want to make sure that you're installing things that you wanted to <laughs> install. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so immediately, if I go to the dashboards, uh, now I've got a couple dashboards that come in. Uh, as part of this kit, I can go to the NetFlow uh, traffic overview dashboard, load that up, and I'm, this will probably be pretty empty since we literally just turned it on. Ooh, look, there's a uh, but I start to see, you know, some just some Ooh. interesting at, uh, visualizations, analytics that pop up uh, immediately in terms of what we're able to look at and see. Now, and Corey, when you install the main kit, is that the root kit? Uh, oh. <laughs> but um all right womp womp how many uh how many uh bad jokes does paul get before longer as we get <laughs> drunk filtered I get as many as i want as many you see as the name wants. of the show it's yep it's <laughs> paul's you're right i'm sorry you're right i'm sorry 61 episodes of them that's how many. We, we can stop full packet <laughs> capture now <laughs> Uh, so, um, uh, so this is kind of just, a, so now you just get this dashboard and, and it kind of gives you an opportunity because every search within grab, basically anytime you see a visualization within Grabwell, that is driven by a query. So if I go in and take like, I've got this, uh, this map visualization, yeah, the, the globe is really, it's distracting because it's just shiny and, and like really awesome. Well, this is, yeah, you got to put this on your sock for your boardroom, right? So right, that they yeah. can uh, see stuff. Uh, so I, I gave it permission oh. for my location. So now it knows that I'm in Idaho because, uh, you know, that we, that was at the zero, zero location there. Um, but yeah, you get your fancy visuals, you get your like numbers and your whatever. Oh. Uh, put it on a honey pot and see if it'll China. look like World War Three. And how much would you pay? Yes. But wait, uh, there's more. Are those coming from yeah. China? That's not China. Where is that coming from? Uh, I don't know. Like, it's like I'm talking to uh, Europe. We got somewhere uh, in Europe, France. Yeah, we got Euro There's stuff. Great, we great, got yeah. I saw France yeah. on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this is live data Arkansas. on my actual you know home system. So I'm Arkansas. just saying, Corey, like everyone's going to spend at least you know ten <laughs> minutes or so just messing with the globe. Just because yeah, it's, cool. it's like yeah. How many of these cool. can I get? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like I want to get tracks from everywhere. <laughs> oh, it's back to zero. Open port thirty three eighty nine. Uh, you're right. I wonder if. Uh, uh, it went back to zero. Oh, I hate bugs. You might want to have Damn to hit it. the save. So uh, no, it's a feature. It's a feature. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's turn on the rotation, hide the labels, put some stars in the background, exclude other. And there we go. Look at that. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, Are the so stars anyway, you get this out of the box now, but also like that. So that was on the dashboard, but the query Wait, is feature there. Request. Like, I is... want Im Imperial Star Destroyers like <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, right and, and all of my With enemies. <laughs> and, and are the stars accurate? Are we seeing what we actually see if we were looking at the starry sky? No, I don't actually know. This is a library that we We're use, very so. distracted by this point, <laughs> as, as you can tell. ADD is we need the pew pews. Like, uh, I mean, that's how Norse no, did so well. ADOS. Right? They had pew pews. Deficit, we sound attention deficit, oh, shiny. Yes. Um, but but that is, I mean, the query that that created this is here for for now. People like if you if you've never used the query syntax before or never done anything like a Unix command line, especially if you're coming from Windows world, like that might be pretty weird. But you can go to these dashboards 
And so wait, go Corey, see I, the query on a serious note with the globe, I, if I run a query, the globe reflects the yeah. results of my query. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. That is really and, cool. And, and just like the Daily Show, the globe is spinning in the wrong direction. Just saying. <laughs> well, now it's ruined for me. You you found our homage. The axis is yeah, all you, wrong. Oh, you, you stole the JavaScript from the Daily Show, obviously. Um, and so, uh, so one of the one of the other really really uh, requested features uh, is so you know we've got this table uh, of of results here, uh, and and the query looks something like this, uh, which is doing some cool stuff like uh, enrichments and whatever, so that we can resolve, uh, you know. Uh, what the service is, uh, so we see like you know NetBIOS and and, and, and that was part of that stuff. network uh, that network kit that you installed, right, Corey? Yep. So yep. this is all this is all part of the kit. But then uh, one of the other things that we've got now is this ability to click on uh, specific items, and so we've got actionables, and these can be created out of a number of things. Um, IP addresses are fairly easy to recognize within arbitrary text, because mm. uh, one of the challenges for us as just a company. And that that is tough for our devs is we have no guarantees about what kind of data you guys are putting in this tool whatsoever. Uh, and that oh. makes it really tough to create nice visualizations. Like yeah. that's why people use Elastic as their, yeah. as their yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. So you can define a type for something uh, so that you can be, behave in certain ways or have some guarantees. But we don't have any of that because the data could be anything. Yeah, well, but the flip and side so, is that is you can ingest everything. Yeah, exactly. So, right. Yeah, so that's the trade-off, right? And yeah. and that's why we looked at the market, and that's why we thought, you know, there, there is it like a regex to... you're using to to do that? Because that uh, in this case, it is a regex yeah. uh, on an IP address. That's an easy thing to regex out. But we also have uh, the capability to uh, you can set up actionables that will operate on highlights. So like, uh, you, you're never going to be able to regex out, regex out a specific host name for somebody's organization or something, right? That's custom to them. Um, but instead. Uh, you can like uh, set up actionables to be based on highlighting. Uh, I don't have any at the moment, but when you highlight something, uh, that will trigger an actionable as well uh, as an as an option. And so I can take this, uh, and then instead of like altering a query or whatever, one of the other things that got installed with this kit is like um, some uh, queries. In this example, this is a template query that looks for long running flows. So uh, if that that could be an indicator of uh, something, uh, poss possibly, you know, mm. it's just one data point. It's, it's sort of what we call like a weak signal, right? You've mm -hmm. got weak signals, you've got strong signals, but enough weak signals put together mm. makes a strong signal. And right. so this might be a weak signal where we've got a long running connection where there might not have one, not, might not have been one. Before. It'd be a really neat integration uh, if you were to highlight a protocol like SSH and tie it into like uh, exactly. THC Hydra and do a brute mm. force automatically or something. Wow. Exactly. Yep. Like a high frequency count where there wasn't one or long running connections, that type of a thing. Uh, and then we have things like investigative dashboards where you can target a specific IP and load up this dashboard and it'll tell you everything you need to know about that IP within your given data source for this specific uh, kit, which is NetFlow. Um, but then we also uh, are having things like a fusion kit where we'll have NetFlow fused with Sysmon. Mm -hmm. And so then you might be like, I'm interested in this particular network flow and you can track it all the way down to which process on which system actually created this network connection. <clears throat> If you've got the different types of data within the system, and, and what sucks. I what I love about that is you don't have to buy a ton of stuff, right, to make that work. No, all all that's actually yeah free, right? Uh, Netflow's Netflow's free, Sysmon's free, um, and so log, having all that log, in log, there, logs yeah, are free. 
Yep. Fox, yeah, but it's a great Grab is free right? unless you're, you know, using it at work. Um, and so all that you can do straight up right now if you if that's what you wanted to do. And so everything that I just showed you going from where we had nothing to now we've got these dashboards, we've got mm. this ability to click around and do investigation. That's all due to our new features here. And if I wanted right. to, uh, I mean, like if I go back and just straight up load this dashboard, uh, it'll prompt me for the IP address that I'm interested in investigating. I'll just do the host that's right here. Uh, and then we can see, you know, network flows related to this host, uh, which probably is a few, uh, including this uh, call that I'm out with you fine gentlemen. Uh, we see a map that we saw similarly uh, before. Um, so it gives us uh, just a, a rapid way to look uh, and see and explore this NetFlow data as part of this kit without having to know anything about the Grabble query syntax. Uh, and then if I wanted to, I can dive into these queries and I can alter them, I can filter them, like if I uh, if I saw this one and I say you can do all the kinds of stuff that you can typically do on uh, on a Linux command line interface. Like if I want to just uh, uh, grep out the destination and I want to or uh, not in uh, this subnet for a destination, so I'm only looking at egress instead of things within the given subnet. Like I can add uh, these types of uh, filters in, oops, uh, in order to do those searches and, and filter in. So you can still all do the do the rapid dynamic exploration using the query syntax. But we got up and we got up and running super fast. So really fast. And could you even just uh, script a build, Corey, that uh, included all the modules and just install them all by default? Uh, that's not something we currently do. Um, so but, have, so, uh, but so uh, to answer that question, like if you were at work and you were doing this, absolutely. In fact, everything, uh, that's one of the unique things about us too. Absolutely everything about Gravel lives in the in a given directory. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you like tar that up, um, you can clone it or, or rapidly deploy it or, or whatever. Gotcha. Um, okay. And we kind of got all that uh, through some, some nice uh, initial sort of system architecture stuff. And, uh, you know, we we're trying to do the best practices. So we have like a customer who carries... Uh, a giant cluster around on a thumb drive uh, right. with a deploy script, and then he's just up and running. Yeah, because it was a container. I mean, you could probably script installation of the modules and stuff, yep. right? Yeah, uh, yeah that, is, that his example isn't using containers, but um, but if you if you did, yeah, absolutely, uh, super easy to do. But you can always go get the community edition, install them on the GUI, and be off to the races. Yep, yep, exactly. And and we have things like we have. Um, we have a scripting system within uh, the NetFlow kit doesn't have any scripts in it, but you can do things like, like we were just talking about with Packet Fleet, where you're going to watch a given search. Mm -hmm. And if you have results, then you're going to go out and grab the packets and, and that kind of thing. All that's capable you know, within the system as well. In feature uh, parity, Corey, the free community edition and the commercial edition are same exact features. Right, it's just a limitation. Same features. Uh, the only things that are missing are some of the enterprisey style things, like replication, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hot failover, redundancy, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously the 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 data cap. Yeah. Um, okay. So the only time we ever limit data is with the community edition. Uh, for any paid gravel, it's always unlimited data, unlimited endpoints, unlimited user seats, unlimited EPS. Uh, none of that. <laughs> Another, frankly, bullshit that's present in the industry right. for how they try and nickel and dime you when it comes to analytics. Because our whole thing is, uh, you know, data is better together. So you should work with some of your other teams. Uh, we don't want you to have to fight with like the QA department and, uh, you know, DevOps over who gets to look at the logs or whatever. That's stupid as hell. So, uh, Corey, it's a flat pricing fee for the commercial version. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, per node uh, price, and then we scale with the number of nodes. So, like, if you're doing 100 terabytes a day, or you know, that that might be 100, 150 nodes. You know, depending on what kind of hardware we're throwing. And no, stuff, so uh, nodes cloud, are the ins instances of Gravwell that I'm I'm running, yeah. basically. Okay. Yeah, indexers, uh, indexers within Gravwell. Mm -hmm. So how that's and that's how the data gets spread out. So that's the big difference between like using Grep on a server yeah. versus yeah. Uh, you know a, a, a nice enterprise tool like this because uh, it'll scale out to pretty much whatever you throw at it. And and I so. can run this in the cloud or on premise, right? My deployment is basically up to me. Uh, yeah, deployment's up to you. Uh, we will be offering managed services soon. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not something we uh, currently do, except in um, sort of one-off instances. Uh, but yeah, so on-prem on cloud uh, again, we're Go. So uh, and we have containers, so it's really easy to deploy pretty much wherever you need to. And and how what what's the performance like uh, if you're you know, I don't know, uh, a couple hundred gig a day, uh, you know, in traffic? Like, what kind of hardware or cloud am I talking about? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, typically for, like, modest hardware, where you're talking about, uh, you know, you don't have a whole lot of stuff in there, um, you know, eight, eight cores or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're, we're pretty much, I guess I'll say this, we're almost always I.O. bound mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to how, yeah. you know, how fast we can... Uh, shove data through how fast we can interpret stuff yep. so like nvme drives yep. um having a hot a hot log section with nvme drives over like your most recent week yep uh and then the older logs go to magnetic spinners or something yep. like those are all kind of strategies you can take and, and that's uh, uh for improving that um but you can do like 150 to 300 gigs on one machine uh fairly easily gotcha with uh, with a setup gotcha that's awesome. And, or you could put but, it in the cloud. I mean, there's going to be a cost associated with that, but I'm assuming you could manage your storage between S3 and Glacier in a similar manner. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, exactly. We age out. So we can age out to Glacier or age out to S3 mm -hmm. uh, off of the, the more expensive hot storage. Uh, right, type right. Of thing. Gotcha. But I guess I would say like, um, like we were doing um, uh, a big deployment uh, test uh, and uh, this, this uh, instance was uh, operating with uh, Splunk. Uh, and it was like 300 nodes uh, doing a bunch of stuff. And then we did uh, a similar deployment on 150 nodes in the cloud with our, with our system. So uh, marked uh, improvements, depending on, you know, obviously uh, you, you can take my word for it or not, but uh, it was a cool, uh, it was a cool experiment to see. And it was really cool to watch the gears turn. And cause we had surpassed the point where we had enough money to, test our stuff at scale yeah if that makes sense back then uh when we were doing the, yeah. that stuff so so what you're saying is customers that have to pay to host something like a splunk or a really large uh sim that your uh i don't want to say cheaper because that's not the right word i'm looking for but a lot more less cost effective for sure cost effective yeah, because the software is less expensive because it's better performance and you don't require as much hardware uh, in, in processing power, right? Yeah, Basically. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So our, our modules are built a little bit better. We're built with uh, with concurrency from day one. Yeah. Uh, and which speed. I, think makes because, a big I mean, difference. Go, is, Go is super fast. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so we get a bench benefit there. And and so, yeah, we're passing that on to to, to our customers, to you guys, because mm. uh, we want um, we want to make sure that uh, that especially, you know, with, with layoffs and, and COVID and everything like that all sucks. Uh, and our thing is kind of like, don't, you know, maybe save money on tools and, and keep people on staff. Because personally, uh, uh, I don't think that AI is going to solve security anytime soon. 
we have AI in our system. If you want to do cool AI shit, we can hook you up. Uh, but uh, people don't do it. Uh, and, and it's humans that actually drive security organizations. It's humans that work with other humans at a company to make the company operate and to accomplish the mission. So uh, AI is not going to solve our problems. So get and getting rid of people is is uh, usually not a positive yeah no i i agree Corey. now uh do you have integrations with like a ticketing system right if i'm an analyst i find some cool stuff and i want to go have some people take an action on it uh, do you have those integrations yet or is that still yeah kind of a- yeah so we we will uh we'll use the scripting system and we've helped customers set up stuff to feed into jira yep, and okay. you know stuff like uh, that so that they can uh, operate in their existing flow nice. Um, that's something that we are currently, you know, expanding, um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of our partnerships and, and stuff to make that good. Nice. Um, cause yeah. But you do uh, have customers that you're making that work for, right? Oh yeah. 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 And that's a benefit of the commercial product, right? Well, I mean, I mean you almost have to have that. With a, yeah, I mean, if you're like, doing oh, you commercial, do. yeah, you absolutely do. You absolutely have I to mean, have that. Con. Just like, um, just like any sensor has to have the ability to export their logs. Mm. And if they don't do that yeah. nicely, then. They're kind of being jerks about it. Like we have to have the ability to take alerts or do stuff and feed it into some of these other ticket systems, which we're happy to do. We're not trying to be like a full orchestration uh, automation. Sure. Yeah. 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 Right. So we play nice with things like, um, um, you know, I mean, Splunk is Phantom. Like it's that type of a thing. Like we're we would like to uh, expand that. That's something that we're we're expanding uh, on the roadmap in the next year as well. Oh, uh, sorry, Lee. So um, just two questions. Uh, one is how, you know, you're releasing these new features. How, how hard is it for, the, for your existing users to go get them? Is it going to be an automatic push? Or are they going to be able to download or do they have to reinstall? Uh, it is actually out there right now. So if you apt upgrade uh, or Docker pull and container mm-hmm. restart, you got them. That's it. Um, and then... No no, that's no, way too no easy. No, I wanted, I wanted more process, more waiting. No, sorry. <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can build that in yourself, you, Lee. Lee. I, there's nothing. I, 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 don't, so that actually, I guess. That, uh, it, I mean, maybe we got a lot of this benefit. I recognize that it's really difficult. Uh, I think it's 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 the advantage of a data lake, right? And or our, you know our setup and and having uh, and us owning the whole stack is it really is just app upgrade and you're done. Uh, you you know you don't have to rebalance shards. You don't you're not doing all this kind of crazy stuff with uh, with managing um, the database. If anybody's you know messed with uh, Elastic or done some of that stuff, uh, it can be a little bit of work when you get to that piece. Uh, but but um, not for not for the Big Bang release. You just uh, app up app upgrade and you're done. And uh, the the database, Corey, is that what what is the database? Uh, and if you're working with containers, right, you have to preserve the data across. Container mm-hmm. upgrades. Like, where do you? How do you store that? Yeah. So do- with Docker, you're going to want to use volumes. Yeah. Uh, you know, right? You're going to you're going to make sure that your data lives somewhere and not within the container itself. Uh, and then, but once you've done that, that then that's it. Um, the database is our proprietary setup. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing that we put a ton of engineering in mm-hmm. uh, in order to make that really performant and in order to accept any data. Um, so that's kind of a big chunk of where the secret sauce sits. Uh, and then in the query syntax and how that how that all operates. So, um, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's so just like any other database, time. right? I store it in a, a volume, right? Probably a local volume, yep. right? For performance reasons, mm-hmm. I would imagine. I don't know. I haven't done the, the, the math. To uh, see yeah, again, you're going right? to want to do that based on your age out, right? Like mm. you'll put uh, you'll put the, the hot store on yeah. an NVMe mm-hmm. um, backed storage volume. Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, your your cold store and then on the spinners and then magnetic or uh, yeah, frozen store. It prunes out when it, it scrolls off the bottom. So That's awesome. It's very yeah, nice. I want Yeah, one. so uh, I mean going from from zero to let's take NetFlow and 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 go up. Uh, you know, only took a few minutes of time on here which uh super super proud of the team for making that awesome. Um we've got a few more kits that are coming out like I said. Uh we just demoed NetFlow here, but uh we've got uh Zeke that's going. We've got uh, uh Sysmon Windows events, uh a generic syslog kit. Um, but know, more and, so the power and, of bringing all that together, right? Once yeah. you have all those kits, what, what I hear saying is you can kind of blend all that together. I click on an IP address. While I may see that in my NetFlow dashboard, exactly. the information comes from that is pulling in everything that uh, has that IP, including Sysmon and Bro and all that other stuff. Exactly. And, and we've got a weather kit. Do you know Do you know if a thunderstorm in your area affects your, uh, your 500 error rates on your oh. e-commerce site? Mm. It might. Uh, like that's the kind of, you know, random stuff that you can investigate. And you got to put the weather on the globe then. Yeah. Uh, well, that would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. You could play, uh, play meteorologist. Um, but does everything. (laughs) Well, I, I have to say, I, you know, at a risk of, uh, comparing to other sponsors or maybe not sponsors, right? Like the features you get, Corey, that you're describing are, I think you pay, you have a lot more costs uh, in maintenance with a lot of other systems, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas yours looks like get up running really easy. You got a lot of functionality in something that you can do uh, on, a, on a really good budget, right? I think this was your whole kind of mission in, in creating Gravel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We, we, yeah, we saw, mm-hmm. the, we saw the industry. We saw where it was. We saw Elk and Splunk, and we said there should be something else in here that, that makes it possible to do all this. And so that was why we started. So uh, we're pretty excited about it. Um, that's what lets us. And we always, you always have your the raw data to do that root cause stuff. Like anybody ever gotten a uh, a stack trace in your logs? Uh, like that just kind of blows stuff up if you if you if you have some tool that's expecting logs in a very specific format. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get a stack trace in there. That's that's a bad time. Um, but but that's something that we can handle because because of the fundamental approach that we took to to doing all this so uh, it was it it meant we had to make a database and that that sucks so yeah but it sounds uh, like you're past that now and you're just building on other nice features yeah right? now we're just making yeah. cool shit on right? top of it yeah. which is really yeah. exciting that's really awesome that's really awesome so, go ahead lee do you have any challenges with, and you're building you're building more on top the kits and everything any problems with conflicting underlay underlying pieces of dependencies where Different pieces need different versions, or it, you pretty much got oh, that man. nailed. Uh, oh, no, I heard right. it. Oh, man. Uh, I didn't need yeah. open a wound. <laughs> Dependency management uh, is a special, uh, special uh, hell. Um, so we have a couple of developers who certainly have lost some hair probably over it. Um, and I'm sure that will be an ongoing problem. Yeah, forever. but what's it's awesome is with Docker, you can just you can build it out and then see where your dependencies are broken and then just rebuild it again. Yep. That's what I love about <clears throat> Docker. One thing I love about yeah, Docker. That's true. Uh, and, and actually, that's been one of the big things that we've been doing just internally is is standing up this big automation system for doing all the stuff and doing the testing and things, which has been really incredible. Uh, so, yeah, the containers and stuff is is awesome for that, for sure. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so there is a community edition. Yep. Uh, Corey has upped the limit from two gigs per day to four gigs per day. Did I get that right, Corey? 
That's right. That's right. And if you hit that four gigs uh, and you want more, just email us, man. We'll. we'll, we'll oh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. About I was thinking you hit four gigs and it's like, uh oh, <laughs> now you're being charged by the. Yeah. Uh, no, that, I know you're. You not, don't even yeah. have. You don't have to give us a credit card for Community Edition. You have to give us nothing but an email, uh, and then all we do is validate the email and send you the license to that email. That's the only reason you need the email. So, uh, hmm. so really, Community is really built. So I didn't need Paul's credit card at all. And then, right. You know. Except no. for, then for not, the commercial for version, that. though, but the difference in the commercial version is there's no limit. Yep. Um, you'll work with customers to build integrations. You mentioned Jira, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and you've got some redundancy yeah. and, and scalability built into the enterprise version. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You get all that stuff. So all the enterprise -y type things. Um, so, so if you want to kick it, your yeah. if you want to kick your sim or your tools in the teeth that are doing a threat hunting and analysis, That's this is a great place to go. Yeah, and, and, and go uh, either get the community edition or the commercial version and uh, and and be off to the races. Yeah, if you if you are considering using uh, Gravel at work, I would encourage you to uh, go to gravel.io/trial, uh, and then um, then you'll get much more white glove uh, experience because with CE you're yeah, I mean, you're just dropped in. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a community edition, right? Um, but if you want the white glove, uh, hit us up or email info at gravel.io, and uh, we're happy to do that too. So. Make sure you tell them you heard about it here on Security Weekly. And, uh, and, and, and you'll get the clean white gloves. You get the clean white gloves, not the used ones. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, again, I put myself in the shoes of, you know, folks out there having walked the walk. I, you get frustrated with a lot of tools. So yeah, uh, it, it seems like, Corey, you're removing a lot of the friction uh, that exists between analysts and and the data. It's a sweet tool. Try try the community edition first and see. I mean, you'll like it. And then, yeah, yeah, outstanding. Corey, thank Absolutely. you so much for appearing on Paul Security Weekly. Yeah, thanks for letting me come on and talk about community edition. Uh, it it really is something that we're putting out there for you guys to use uh, and benefit from because we, I mean, we were in that job. So outstanding. Absolutely. To learn right, more, thanks. make sure you go to securityweekly.com forward slash gravwell. Uh, sign up uh, and get either the community edition or or get a trial. Get that white glove service. Yeah. <laughs> As is Corey put it. I love that. That's awesome. Corey, again, thanks so much. Thanks. With that, take a short break. Come back with the next interview here on Security Weekly. Stay tuned. NetSparker, the developers of a comprehensive automated web security platform that includes web vulnerability scanning, assessment, and management. NetSparker's desktop and cloud-based security solutions employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities and provides a proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at securityweekly.com forward slash NetSparker. Are you an enterprise dissatisfied with overpriced analytics software that can't keep up with modern data? If so, then Gravwell is the solution for you. Gravwell is an unstructured data analytics platform for enterprises who demand total data visibility across their network. Gravwell lets your security team go beyond the SIM and fuse data sources to correlate and answer questions you didn't know needed to be asked. Go to gravwell.io forward slash security weekly for an unlimited data trial and gain uncompromising visibility today. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. Join the Security Weekly mailing list for webcast virtual training announcements. Receive your invite to our Discord server. Uh, we are working on an update to securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe. Pretty soon, you'll be able to subscribe to the mailing list, join our Discord server, and subscribe to all of the shows on our network in one neat little package on our website. So make sure you check securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe for all things Security Weekly. 
join the mailing list to find out about upcoming uh, webcasts, virtual training, and other such events that we've got planned. Uh, let's see. Siddharth Bhatia is a PhD student at the National University of Singapore. Siddharth's research uh, is supported by the President's Graduate Fellowship, and he's been recognized as a young researcher in the ACM Heidelberg Laureate Forum. Siddharth has done breakthrough work in streaming anomaly detection. His research, Midas, finds anomalies or malicious entities in real time. Siddharth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for inviting Yes, nice to have you on, Siddharth. How did you get your start uh, in information security and kind of what interested you uh, in doing research uh, in the area of security? Uh, so I wa- uh, when I joined my PhD, so I wanted to, uh, like, after my PhD, I want to go into academia. So during my PhD, like I was always interested in data science, machine learning, and somewhat related in graphs and these kind of things. So I found like anomaly detection was an interesting problem and like I'm doing my PhD. So my advisor, he was also interested in a similar topic. So within anomaly detection, like uh, currently in cybersecurity space and other things, there's like a need for kind of a streaming or a real time kind of anomaly detection. So where we want uh, all the malicious entities to be recognized as soon as possible so that the harm is minimized. Uh, in intrusions, DOS, DDoS attacks, like even the recent Twitter kind of attack. So if we could recognize or like detect it as soon as possible, so the harm is minimized and so many like millions of dollars wouldn't have got lost. So that was my motivation and I've been working on streaming anomaly detection in my like time throughout. So, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, where do you uh, collect the data from to do this analysis, right? Is it network? Is it uh, net flow? Is it events? Is it a culmination of it? Like what, what data are you ingesting to start this analysis? So uh, it's most of it is net flow data only. So uh, it's not restricted to net flow data. Like I'm working on net flow data and I showed experiments with net flow data and it's being deployed in real world settings as well to just see how like their net, like the data net flow data, how it is working there. But I was primarily working with publicly available data sets. Because as a researcher, like I cannot use someone else's uh, copyrighted data. So, mm. like there is a Canadian agency, uh, CIC Cybersecurity uh, Institute. So, we use their publicly provided data sets and some data sets by DARPA. So, I showed experiments on those. But, like, definitely my research is not restricted to uh, like NetFlow or intrusion detection data sets. So any like a record kind of data, or if you have a graph kind of setting where you have a source port and a destination port. So, like those kind of data sets can be, we can experiment with those. Well, what were some of your strategies uh, for finding anomalies? Like, what was your your the basic of uh, basics of your theory? So, uh, like in recent times, earlier, if we talked around 10, 20 years back, so most of our settings and most of our of our communications were actually static and they were fixed. Like, uh, so you knew that okay, this is your entire communication network or something like that. But recently, uh, all time evolving or dynamic communications and uh, basically if you consider two people or two nodes, two machines communicating with each other. So that kind of graph is evolving with time. So uh, one of the uh, primary uh, requirement is that we have to have an algorithm which works with dynamic nature. So you, you can have new nodes which you don't know about. You can have new edges. So you take any social network or any other kind of uh, like communication network. So you do not know which nodes will be interacting. So other thing which is important is that we cannot have an algorithm or some kind of detection system 
which will grow with the number of nodes or with your stream length so you wanted to be uh, constant like uh, in memory and you wanted to be constant in time so you wanted to be if possible real time or uh, even if it's not real time something of the order like near real time maybe like like it may takes like few seconds something like that so that uh, it is detected as soon as possible so the other thing is that recently there are a lot of coordinated kind of attacks so it's not usually a one person is kind of sending you a lot of edges mm-hmm. so it's usually like multiple uh, co- multiple entities are coming in together and they send a distributed denial of service attack something like that so we want to find sudden surges in the number of requests or your number of communications and based on that methodology we wanted uh, so like we came up with uh, this micro cluster detector so it's called midas and uh, it can find like coordinated ent- uh, entities coming in together and sim- sending a similar suspicious group of edges within a very short span of time so that is the basic methodology to find out like what are the intrusions or malicious entities or the anomalous communications and so it's just up to detection so prevention and other things is not there currently but yeah so sidor so does this start learning what is normal and then uh, flagging what is abnormal or is this a system it sound, almost sounds like it's doing it in real time in other words analyzing streams of data as it's going you know coming through the system and determining if something anomalous is happening i think previous systems have very much relied on we sit on your network for a while we look at all the net flow we determine what's normal and then we look at anomalies it sounds like what you have is different correct uh, so uh, we like we we also analyzing in a streaming fashion so it's always better if you have like an increasing kind of uh, like as much stream as it is possible but it will de- start detecting from the very st- uh, beginning so we have an expected behavior for each user and the uh, beauty lies in the way we are hashing it to a compressed space so uh, we are hashing like similar users in a similar bucket and like mm-hmm. that way kind of uh, in the, i won't go in the details of the data structure but uh, like once you hash it to compressed space you can kind of map your user behavior and you can find your expected behavior and based on that you can see okay this was anomalous for example if you had say 10 10 communications happening between two nodes so suddenly you see that okay 1000 communications happened in the last 2 3 minutes so what did happen so something like that at the same time like if you see okay just the the same tweet is kind of sent multiple times so what really happened down there so is it like some kind of a hack or something like that so right now it's uh, kind of a like on the order of like if, it, if it's more than the expected behavior and we model an expected behavior over the entire stream it sounds like you can get the expected behavior very quickly right and not have Correct. to listen for days or weeks right yeah so uh, like there are a lot of deep learning based approaches and mm-hmm. there are a lot of other security related approaches which will also find uh, your expected behavior but they do take a lot of time so in our case uh, we are using a streaming data structure so like i said in streaming algorithms or when you're working over a stream so you want uh, like some form of a streaming data structure which does not need to store everything so you cannot actually store everything and once so uh, another nice thing is that when you uh, when you're running it like when you are learning the rate or your expected behavior over days so your learned behavior is actually old now right so your current behavior may be actually different than what your yeah. uh, previous behavior was so in a streaming fashion you're learning there and then you do not have the uh, time or the luxury to kind of uh, learn your past so you're learning there and then and once you see the data you don't really need to see it again and then you can detect it there and then you have a threshold 
that is thre that threshold can be application or company dependent like okay more than this we are considering it as an anomaly and what we do with that anomaly or that intrusion so whether we detect it like we prevent it we block it we give it a warning that all is separate but yeah so the expected behavior is learned over a stream as soon as possible and that is done using a streaming data structure and like a chi squared goodness of fit test so combining those in an algorithmic way so we do that is is the learning that you get on the system is that cumulative so i can learn from what you already know or do i have to start all over again if i implement this i mean is there like a repository where i say okay i'm going to go ahead and pull down all the knowledge so far and add that to mine or do i just have to start clean every time uh, so currently we have it uh, clean for every time but definitely that's a very interesting extension where we can uh, take someone else's expected behavior and like uh, have that behavior also learned and like maybe use that at the initial time so after some time there will definitely be personalization and your expected behavior has to be different from someone else but there can be some kind of a global expected behavior which we can use also to kind of improve it further and for the initial phase we see that that this is your expected behavior but i i love the approach because it's looking at almost in in near real time so as you were saying like what's behaving differently mm -hmm. because things change all the time. And I remember doing this monitoring university network, right? Yeah. Like students would do new stuff all the time. And that was essentially normal, right? But like how do you pluck the anomalies out of that right. normal that's changing all the time? Historical data was almost meaningless to me because it was constantly changing, yeah. right? Definitely. And like even for uh, example, if you say like you have different kind of users, so like if you take so not just going into the communication uh, example too much like if you see for example your twitter network or something like that so donald trump will be sending in a lot of tweets right like i as a normal user will be tweeting once a week so what is the different expected behavior you cannot really model one kind of behavior for every user so it will be slightly different there and you also at the same time you also want your like the a guarantee on the false positives which you uh, which your algorithm or your system actually detects so you do not want uh, like you do not want uh, as many false positives okay i have the luxury to give you as much false uh, positives as uh, like it is as my algorithm is giving so we we have a tolerance on the error also okay if you want only 1% error so we can have our data structure customized to that if you want say 0.1% error you cannot tolerate more than that so we have a guarantee on the false positives also which is a theoretical guarantee based on the algorithm so that is quite uh, nice so the what? user can kind of tune those thresholds yeah yeah, yeah. so you, the user can uh, basically say that okay with 99% probability i cannot afford more right. than 0.1% error something like that so we'll tune in the parameters based on that and it'll require slightly more space slightly more time but overall so uh, it's like the guarantee will work and save we experimented on my normal like Mac, so around 4.5 million DARPA records within less than one second. So that was what was the order. So yeah, a few milliseconds here and there won't affect too much. Mm. So so since it starts clean though every time, what's the like cycle time up to where the deep learning actually is trained, and I can start sort of counting on these things. So with my you know with my streaming environment. So how many conversations of some length of time do I have to have before the deep learning is really saying, I, I know what to do? Uh, so just to uh, like clarify, so there are two things. So machine learning won't require any training. Deep learning requires training. So in this particular problem setting, we are actually not using deep learning. We're using machine learning. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. I misunderstood that. Excuse me. Yeah. 
so it, it won't require like uh, like a training or your initial set of records so it'll start from the very beginning obviously your first or second record it won't consider it as an anomaly okay. but like within just a few records it starts working and it shows uh, promising results uh, i'm also trying to extend it if i can use uh, some of the innovations in deep learning and maybe have a streaming scenario because that is one very interesting thing which you pointed out that current deep learning approaches they require some form of initial training or some form of an initial uh, data set to train with and then only you can work uh, and it can like give good results so how can we kind of have a streaming deep learning based solution and we, if we can hybridize those well that yeah so that i i thought earlier really, should, i thought that's early, really interesting though yeah no i thought combined. earlier he said it was using deep learning and i that's why i was asking the question yeah. about or do you have like a global store of deep learning knowledge i can draw on but if it's machine learning yeah that makes sense so it's that's a different approach but i i like the deep learning idea so mm. i think that because i do think that streaming is something that you can sort of, you know, quantify in a finite way as far as, far as behaviors. Mm -hmm. So it seems like that might be a good place to go with that as well. I mean, the machine learning works for that well as as well. But Siddharth, it yeah. sounds and, and Doug, it sounds like uh, detecting a denial of service or distributed denial of service attack. This would be a very very fast way to detect. Yeah. That, right. Yeah. So. Uh like when uh, when you have like constant time and if you have uh, at the same time if you have constant memory so like it's kind of works really fast and also we're doing some really simple kind of uh, transformation so and some like so getting it down to so we use sketches so sketches bring it down to a compressed space and it denoises some of the data as well mm -hmm. so using those approaches it works really fast and uh, so it's order like around three orders of magnitude faster than the earlier baseline. So that was around two years old. So that was also working in a streaming fashion. So streaming does not uh, correlate, like it does not mean that it's real time. So streaming means that you just have a streaming data. So real time also has like different connotations for different people. It can be real time, maybe say minutes, maybe hours as mm. well. But yeah, within real time also, it's kind of uh, faster than the previous approaches. So I'm trying to extend it further and like say, maybe use correlations of the net flow data like you pointed out, so if you use NetFlow data in the previous segment, so like if you use NetFlow data, so you have different kind of packet size, average flow duration, and if we can somehow find the correlation between those features and like uh, improve the anomaly detection further, so that is definitely an interesting extension as well. Siddharth, is part of your uh, kind of anomaly detection based on outliers, right? Is it like, yeah. do you look at all the streams that are coming through and kind of pick out the outliers frequently occurring, most frequently occurring, least frequently occurring, data sizes, things like that? But doing that in a stream fashion, I think is really interesting. Yeah, uh, so when uh, we're basically working, so we're just analyzing one stream and within that stream, so it can be run parallelly across multiple streams. So I'm also trying to do that because of the speed up. So it'll definitely be interesting to do it in parallel and in a distributed fashion. But currently, like the, uh, the version which is available online, so that is uh, running on one particular stream. And within that stream, we are uh, seeing the unexpected behavior and uh, analyzing that and trying to detect that or like uh, give it as an outlier. In your testing, are there certain anomalies or attacks that you are very confident in this technology detecting? So, uh, like, there are some, uh, like, so I, I, I'm not too familiar with all the attacks which it detects because I just use like publicly available data sets, but Neptune and like, so, uh, there was smurf attacks. So these were the different names of the attacks and also at the same time. So it'll, it'll recognize insider threats. It'll recognize uh, your uh, denial of service attacks. It'll recognize intrusions. It'll recognize 
uh, if you want to have uh, like if you have fake uh, like uh, if you have unauthorized access for a particular file so recognize everything wherever there is a sudden surge in the data or in the request so i didn't see which all type of attacks it will recognize but it it definitely won't recognize something like if you're uh, impersonating as a user but mm. if you're impersonating as someone and if you do some unexpected behavior that it will recognize and, and that's really where it's at today right yeah. cuz most attackers yeah. don't do the kind of blatantly obvious this is anomalous they're trying to impersonate user behavior as closely as possible but inevitably there's some variations where technology like this uh, really can help us definitely like that is one of the so even i was surprised like there are so many kind of ddos attacks still happening and this can kind of uh, like this should be done as soon as possible because this is just like even by normalized we can see that there is not like an expected behavior right like something happening on twitter or like there was a github ddos attack which happened so it can be recognized very simply and it can it should be done very fast so this is if a human is able to see that like okay this is not an expected behavior so like when you have statistics and when you have like uh, learning so that should definitely be done faster so so do I do I just set this up like on a server on my network side and then when my streams are coming in I redirect them to your your tool Midas or is it is a netflow data just being redirected there uh, how do, how do you collect this information uh, so like I am not a developer so I just kind of build the basic version where you have uh, all the data all the data and you just kind of uh, run the algorithm based on that okay. but there are other developers who like uh, contributed to the uh, like to different implementations like i had written a, like original c++ implementation people have uh, implemented it in python java julia some are running it as a streaming service on a web app so there are different other implementations i was like uh, i designed the uh, original algorithm with like my collaborators and we just like had a c++ implementation uh, but like definitely it should be used as a streaming service where you have a stream coming in and you can use it and there are other implementations those are available on the github repository but i was primarily behind the, okay. the c++ implementation and the algorithm design okay it sounds like sudroth you had like the reference implementation then other yeah. people applied that Correct. to their various technology okay. yeah, yeah. that's really cool yeah. uh, what what is the response been like what was the most uh, kind of surprising thing when people started taking your methodology and applying it to those different languages and applications so like uh, people were also interested in the speed which mydos was giving so they were uh, like everyone was fascinated with uh, okay it's running quite fast and it's giving good results with theoretical guarantees so a combination of those is definitely interesting and people started like uh, implementing it at the same time the implementation was quite simple so it was easy to port it to different languages and so then there on like some cyber security companies they contacted us to if they can fine tune it on their system and if they can uh, run it and how do they customize it for their data and it may not be like that every company wants it on their netflow data or if they want it something like uh, like on their communication network or something so basically mydas can run in any graph setting mm. so people found out different uh, use case scenarios okay there's a financial fraud in our company can this run on it because it's giving right. uh, fast results so they want like a credit card fraudulent transaction to be stopped as soon as possible and they want the harm to be minimized so it can run in financial fraud settings it can run in fake ratings where amazon so i'm currently an intern at amazon so aws so amazon has this requirement where you have 
uh, fake reviews or like people just posting fake reviews on their apps yeah. in Google or I- iPhone and uh, in the app store. So they want those to be detected as soon as possible. So it can run in those scenarios as well. Wherever there's a time evolving graph and the graph is uh, like dynamic in nature, you're receiving new edges, you're receiving new nodes between sources and destinations. So it was quite interesting to kind of work and uh, like see how what all different scenarios people are uh, showing. So like even I got many like further ideas how to continue and extend this research in uh, like different settings. So I'm working on deep learning, uh, like introducing deep learning in this setting and how it can improve the results further. And we're also seeing if an analyst can give kind of some feedback or semi-supervised learning. So semi-supervised learning will be if you have like some analyst saying, okay, Midas detected this as an anomaly, but this wasn't. I knew this person. So this is just an expected behavior. Something wrong happened there. So don't trust it as an anomaly. Just improve your algorithm further. So if an analyst can give some feedback. So these all ideas came like via the community discussion. So it's definitely very helpful. And uh, is there an application that Amazon is using it to detect like fake reviews and things like that? So, uh, like they, so even I am not aware what all they can, uh, they'll be using and they signed, like they asked me, they got me to sign an NDA contract that I cannot release any information, which is. Well, of course. Yeah, no, at Google and uh, all the companies do the same thing with the, you know, basically their, their version of fraud detection. They don't want to release how they do it, obviously, because then people would have uh, a leg up to reverse engineer it. Right. Totally understood. Yeah. Yeah. So the other uh, interesting thing with Midas is that, okay, if you know that people are trying to use Midas to protect their system, so what you can do is even if you uh, go from your, like if you try to become an adversary and like uh, break Midas, something like that. So what you'll do is you will actually come back to your expected behavior. So that is the only way how you can actually not get detected by Midas. So it's not really uh, difficult for Midas to, so for example, if uh, I am an anomaly or I am a malicious entity, and I wanted to, I want to get like, I don't want to get detected by Midas. So what I'll do is I'll go back to an original expected behavior. I'll send in like a specific number of requests only. And if that is the re- like behavior, so you actually cannot do anything anomalous, right? Like, so usually all these systems, your fake reviews and other things, they are successful only when you have a sudden surge in the request. Right. So if you break that, so if you don't have a sudden surge in the request, then your behavior itself becomes normal. And you'll, you'll no longer be detected by Midas, but at the same time, you'll no longer be able to act maliciously. So that's kind of a two-way game. Yeah, yeah it, it sounds like uh, rate limiting, or at least limiting or randomizing the requests could could defeat some of the detection, right? I mean, we've employed similar techniques, right, to be able to step around and do things like scraping and other things, right? Correct, yeah. So uh, it'll, it'll do exactly that. And after, like, so... Uh, once you detect, so it cannot, like, if you use it with other approaches, you will be able to detect other attacks as well. And that'll be kind of a good enough complete solution. And yeah, that is just the simple idea which we were uh, trying out with Midas and it worked quite wonderfully. Jeff? Yeah, I, I, hopefully this won't uh, be a stumper of a question. Uh, I'm thinking ahead to our uh, our, our news segment because I have a... Uh, my single link is to a a, a, a a security bulletin that was put out by Visa, the credit card company, uh, about some uh, variation variants of malware that they've detected uh, recently. Uh, and what struck my interest in the, in the security notice was their 
method of exfiltrating data is using DNS tunneling. So not meaning to trip you up, but I'm just curious, does what you're doing, does Midas, uh, does it or how does it or can it uh, detect uh, anomalous activity in, you know, what's traditionally considered sort of normal traffic, something like DNS traffic? Good use case. Uh, so uh, DNS traffic and other traffic will uh, be like uh, whenever you have a source and a destination. So if you can have like kind of a multigraph, you'll have a source IP address, you'll have a destination IP address, and you'll have like you'll have communications happening between those, and it'll be uh, evolving with time. So for example, you had two communications in the or you have two packets in the first flow, you have multiple other packets in the other flows. So uh, in those scenarios, uh, you just like model it as a graph. And once you have a graph, so then Midas will work like naturally, like in a graph setting. So definitely, like we, we are trying to extend it to uh, non-graph settings also. So that like that research paper is currently under review, and we've implemented that as well. But right now it works with whenever you can model kind of a graph, your communications over a, like over the network, you can model it as a graph. So there it can work. And there's also an interesting ex exploration which can be done. So because all these kind of communications are happening over the network, right? So instead of having that data and getting it modeled to a graph, so can you directly like uh, on P4 or on S or in SDN, like if you can have the switches and you can directly implement Midas there on the switches and you can have that capability to kind of detect, okay, this packet was anomalous or like basically this, I, we have to block this IP address because this flow was anomalous, something like that. And if you can directly do it at the network layer, so that'll be really interesting. Yeah, I think for a, a, finding a uh, credible answer, thank you. Yeah, Sorry, I, I think for finding <laughs> stuff like DNS tunneling, uh, this technology would wouldn't break a sweat, right? No, not at all. Yeah, I mean that's that's mm -hmm. exactly the kind of anomalies you want to detect is is stuff like that, right? So, Darth, uh, is this uh, an open source kind of uh, concept? Like anyone can take this idea. You mentioned you know there were security vendors and other researchers. Like, is this a kind of open, uh, free kind of thing? Yeah, so uh, the code is open source, everything is open source, and it's an Apache 2.0 license. So anyone can feel free to like use it in their application however they want it. And at the same time, like it may require some customization if you want it to be like not for a network kind of data. So the results and the experiments and everything on the GitHub repository is on like NetFlow kind of data sets. But uh, if you require it for a different setting, for a graph setting, then uh, I'll have to like do some slight work, amount of work to improve it further and like. Uh, port the application there, but everything is open source and it's free to use. That's fantastic. When 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 are you going to create your own company to to monetize things like this? Because you've done some fantastic work and a great contribution. Yeah, so uh, like definitely like making a company requires a lot more effort. So I'm currently into research and I'm trying to like just extend this and like use different other uh, properties of cyber security and intrusion detection space and maybe like uh, getting out some different things. So people did contact us like if they want, if you, if we want to open a company, if they want to give an initial grant, but I think I'll just try and finish my PhD like, and then I'll just see. It's still <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, starting companies while you're finishing your PhD is usually a, a, a challenging uh, activity. Uh, yes, yes, definitely finish. When is your PhD uh, going to be finished? So, uh, like, I finished two years, and I think it should take uh, at least a year more. So, uh, once it's, like, I'm on the finishing stages, I can just think of, like, whether we can still go ahead and 
use the ip of the research and like make a company so people can definitely go ahead and they are deploying it in their systems because uh, i wasn't aware like how do we create a license and all those things i learned during my phd so people have like definitely implemented it in mydas but there like some researchers and some uh, like my advisor told me the ip lies with the person itself so we can definitely do it later if we want to yeah. so i'm just focusing and focusing on my research and trying to do it as soon as possible yeah never say you think you're going to finish in public cuz then your your advisors <laughs> hear that and go oh you think that do you <laughs> like, wait till your next hearing yeah Doug, you sound like you've walked that walk. Uh, <laughs> what you have? Um, no, not at all, Doug. <laughs> so, Darth, are are people contributing back uh, to your project? So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, like, in fact, my original C plus plus implementation was also improved by another developer. So, mm. I am not a like very good software engineer kind of person or a good developer. So, I just wrote the initial implementation. So, someone like sped uh, like improved it further and like brought down the speed like times mm. taken to like even further like below. So, it was around 0.3 seconds. So, he brought it down to say 0.2 or 0.19 something like that. And so, it's like uh, it's quite uh, nice to uh, see people like they're contributing to the project. They're implementing it in different languages and there are different ideas. So, like, based on that community dis- discussion, only I'm getting further ideas. How do we kind of extend it? And so, these are not all my extensions, which I talked about in this talk. So, it's like uh, having a network kind of layer, having a distributed version, and running it on non-graph settings. So, these are all some uh, someone else is working on it, and I'm collaborating. Or like, I got an idea based on discussion, and then I'm extending my tasks on those. So, it's definitely like others' contributions as well, which I cannot uh, neglect. That's fantastic. Uh, further questions for Siddharth? Siddharth, uh, a great contribution. Thank you for coming on the show and talking about it. Um, there is a link to uh, Siddharth's GitHub. Uh, you can find it as soon as I fix the bug in my own code. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm not the world's greatest developer either. Uh, you just kind of prototype stuff and make it work as best you can, right? Uh, but there is a GitHub repository uh, that we'll work on getting in the show notes uh, for this episode where you can find Siddharth's work. Siddharth, again, thank you very much for your contribution uh, to the community. Thanks, thanks, thanks. And with that, we'll take a short break. Come back with the security news. Stay tuned. Qualys has brought together vulnerability management and patch management, letting security teams discover vulnerabilities and apply patches immediately, all within a single unified app. Sign up for a free trial of Qualys VMDR, vulnerability management, detection, and response today at securityweekly.com forward slash Qualys. Elastic Security empowers security teams everywhere to prevent, detect, and respond to threats quickly through a unified solution. And it's free and open, putting you in control. Use Elastic Security to eliminate blind spots by analyzing all of your data, no matter its volume, format, or age. Stop threats at scale with automated threat and anomaly detection. And arm every analyst with fast search and integrated case management. Download or try Elastic Sim for free and experience the benefits of an open security solution backed by world-class security research at securityweekly.com forward slash Elastic. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. Do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of our shows? Because we'll totally take your guest, cover him with a blanket, and talk to him on our show. No, that's not what we mean. That's not what we mean. You can suggest a guest... And we'll bring them on for an interview on the show, or we'll cover a topic 
maybe with a guest or just cover that topic. That, that uh, sounds with a little better. Does right? that sound... Instead of that, like, Paul's great! Paul's great! Or like, just but it, the guest... If you, if, you, if you cover him with a blanket, can you fart under it a couple of times? Uh, maybe. That would be the if Dutch... they pay extra. Dutch, Dutch <laughs> they pay extra. <laughs> In any case, you can submit your guest suggestions to securityweekly.com forward slash guests. Complete the form. We'll review the suggestions and even suggest a style of blanket to cover that guest. Uh, learn how to keep your internet self safe and what's happening on the internet today. That's right. Rapid7 scans the entire internet, produces a report, and talks about trends with none other than fabulous security researcher, Mr. Todd Beardsley. We'll talk about some things that may surprise you, uh, and it may mean that things are more secure or less secure, and you just kind of have to tune in to find out. Securityweekly.com forward slash webcast. Register for our upcoming one with Rapid7 and learn what's happening and available on the internet today in terms of security vulnerabilities. If you missed one, you can go to securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. Where do you folks want to start with the stories for this evening? Can we start on a lighter note? Yes. And, and, and talk about Lee's story about three Idaho state websites are vandalized by hackers? Yes. <laughs> Just because it's about Idaho and I'm not allowed to go there anymore. <laughs> and there's two people from Idaho on the show. And there was a third and one on the show. Earlier, on the first there segment, was a third. Right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. what do you have to say about yourself, Lee and Tyler? So, basically, you know, I thought it was interesting that, you know, last couple days ago, Sunday evening, three Idaho state uh, sites were targeted. They're advocating for the release of Julian Assange. Sorry, I'm having trouble with the word. Julian Assange. Assange. Total brain failure on my part. I need need more alcohol. Um, You know, there's state parks and recreation, the STEM Action Center, and uh, uh, personal protective equipment site. It was an interesting, weird uh, mixture of sites they hit. What, so, what was the my, purpose? my question is simply, Tyler, what were you doing? Wasn't me. Wait, wait, his, but hold on. You don't, you don't hack where you live, you know? A better question. <laughs> don't crap where you eat. Don't hack where you live. But where is Julian Assange today? Because wasn't he in the Ecuadorian embassy? Oh, he got thrown his, his And he got thrown out because we covered that story and the things that were being said about him were absolutely heinous. But where did he end up? I think he's in O'Hare Airport. <laughs> so he's in hell. Well, that's Tom I, Hanks. I think that was Tom Hanks, yeah. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. Well, it's almost the same thing. So close. I'm going to say Gitanamo or, you know. Yeah. No, he has not. One no. of the holding facilities. He hasn't been apprehended, has he? Yeah, he has. Yeah, he, he has. was extradited. Was he? He got extradited. Is that what <laughs> we covered? I don't remember now. We covered it so long ago. I don't remember what happened. He's, Where in the world is Julian Assange? He's talking to the jumper cables right now. Did Discord get, says he's in police McAfee, custody. McAfee intervened and picked him up on his yacht, and they're in Bolivia. <laughs> I mean, yeah. no. Oh, is that <laughs> so, so he, then he was like, I'd rather be in jail. <laughs> well, Down in uh, Bolivia hanging out with Butch and Sundance. Yeah. I yeah. mean, honestly, though, you look at you look at federal government, you look at state government, and then you look at uh, local government, and really the level of security awareness that a lot of these places have, uh, not only just awareness, even if they do have awareness, but the level of funding they have to kind of um, 
maintain what's expected by the public, what's required by uh, regulation, and then to do that disparately when you know departments don't work. If, if a county doesn't work closely with the city or the city departments don't work closely with each other or the IT department, uh, or you end up with shadow IT, which is pretty much the running uh, the running way that most states end up doing this, especially oh. with uh, politics, you end up with a really yeah. bad problem. All right, hold on. So uh, he's in Belmarsh. <laughs> he Assange is currently detained in the United Kingdom on an extradition Correct. request to the U.S. Yeah, okay. he's supposed to receive a 50-month prison sentence in the U.K. Um, and he's allegedly in very poor health and could die in prison. Interesting. That's what happens when you throw fecal matter all over walls. Uh, yes. That, well, to be honest, that's what really had piqued my interest about the article was the mention of Julian Assange. But right, yeah, but like why? No, but well, Jeff, well, it's a great point. Why target sites in Idaho for the release of Julian Assange? Well, that's what it's I was like going to say. Was not to disparage my uh, my Idahoan co-hosts, but no, you They're just called hoes now, Jeff. <laughs> Okay, not to mention the hose, not to disparage the hose, but who visits an Idaho State website on any given day? Maybe three people? <laughs> not even me. Well, You've only got, what, 100,000 yeah. 100, people in the entire state? And they put Tyler up a, doesn't need to. He's got the databases locally anyway. Like, and they put up a right. pro-Islamic state message. It's like, and you're, you know, like, Belmarsh is going, okay, Idaho is telling us to let him go. Off with you then. But I, I, then. if you want to promote freeing Julian Assange, why put that on, I, I, to Jeff's point, <laughs> I, websites based in Idaho? I'll, where, I'll tell you right now, they weren't targeted. It was a crime of opportunity. Yeah, yeah okay. Cut, yeah. Because they, you they can. They to be vulnerable. They nailed it. Because you can. They figured, ooh, it's a government <laughs> site. Somebody's going to look at this. And the folks at Security Weekly will cover our story and disseminate and all it out of the entire world. And now well, what, all what actually kills me is just a few months ago they hired a new CISO for the state of Idaho although it was a wired posting the guy seems fairly qualified and this is now he's got to deal with this on his watch it's like and he well, just and he just got like qualified. he just got like 10,000 hits in the last five minutes so yeah. <laughs> yeah but you're talking about a state like again disparity between state state entities state government yeah. and then the facilities the facilities that we're talking about the state websites we're talking about those are all completely different things so right, really you're talking about I, I imagine one these people don't know what states mean uh coming from <laughs> their countries <laughs> two they don't know how rural and uh you know out in the middle of nowhere idaho is and no one really cares about the state government and three they probably knew but, that you lived there though tyler so i think it was a reason i lived there <laughs> I'm just imagining. I'm imagining guys in like a sweaty internet room somewhere, like going, "We've got him now." <laughs> Where is the sweaty internet room? You never been in a sweaty internet? You've never room? Never seen a sweaty internet room? Like in Asia There's or somewhere? A bed with a 600 pound guy sitting on it. No, it's just like I mean, a, most, cinder, um, a cinder block place. Like in China, they're all called barber shops and. And so there's like a sweaty room, and they're got a bunch of old computers. Oh, like people that use the internet, like a like, web cafe. Because like data yeah. centers, I've been in are really cold. To no, keep not the, data no. centers. These are like places where people go to hack things because oh, there's okay. no no backtrace. So or if they backtrace it, it's like there's some you know sweaty, sweaty internet, internet room. room. Yeah. In you know in Nanjing, China, and they go sweaty oh, well. internet room is the greatest title for this episode right now. Sweaty internet room. My, it has my vote and endorsement. That's what we call title. Paul's Paul's WC in there. It's so sweaty, sweaty internet, internet room. room. That is the sweaty. <laughs> I was going to say, Doug, you've been to my office, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is, 
and it's on the Discord server. Uh, <laughs> <final>. <laughs> There's pictures of us. I win. It's one more final, reason to join our Discord point. channel. Whee. Final point. Uh. <laughs> Since I'm a little bit familiar and perhaps jaded about website defacement if you've listened to my interview episode uh, why is that a thing these days why is that even newsworthy i mean nobody stole anything it's to garner attention only embarrassing because it's a government a yeah. government site i it's yeah. i think it's part of hacktivism jeff and i think yeah. it's part of if you're going to hack into something it'll get attention because it's a government or municipal site maybe it'll make mm-hmm. the news and therefore we can get our message out there I it's agree. easier than trying to go viral on Twitter. Or well, Instagram hell yeah, or yeah. Whatever. Because social media is a hot man. TikTok. Yeah. Gotcha. If I were, well, uh, actually, a lot of people are, are leaving TikTok. What is the new one called? My son knows. Live, oh, livey, live, Cut kit. No, hold on. It's called. It's not not lively. Uh, Cut it. Liker. Li- like like like. Well, another one. Likely, likely. Hold on. I'm going to my, I'm actually going where, Hold on. Where some of that news came from to, about TikTok if, you know, could there potentially be a uh, a company play to get a, you know, a large user base off of TikTok and how would you do that using something like disinformation or news or even just the rumor of yeah, this is a Chinese owned company which, you know, maybe that was not a big deal unless you're trying to make a play for uh, company shares and market share. This is how old I am. I have to go to my oldest son's <laughs> Discord server <laughs> to get the name of the new service that they're using in place of TikTok, which is called wow. Likey. It's Likey. Likey. Okay, yeah. Likey. I, I thought it was, first I was, he said Nike, and I'm like, why I would Nike I was dropping create? shots all around that I couldn't yeah. quite get it. Likey. It, like or likely. Is, the, is the, the, the host they go to me? Me Likey? Me Likey. Me Likey, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Likey, likey, me love you. And, Long and, uh, time. Th- thanks to uh, Cactus, uh, I am now the proud owner of SweatyInternetRoom.com. I was wondering oh, about it. Usually that's about the time Larry is going to go grab that domain. You beat me to it. I was actually trying to get to it. And, <laughs> but I still SweatyInternetRoom.com. I still own. Sh- I'm going to go get Sweaty Shaved Potato, though, because I still got that one. Sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> just getting ready to look for that website. Too. I think it's a good well, time when you when you put up a web page, say something about Julian Assange on it, right? <laughs> just for good for, measure, and then let it get hacked. So I think we have to talk about uh, Boot Hole. That's yeah, what it's been named. Dude, that was a straight face. I think they did that just for us. So I we, we were going to keep it light. For <laughs> sweaty Boot Hole, <laughs> SweatyBootHole.com <laughs> is the website for this vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> I get referral fees from GoDaddy. So. <laughs> Larry's going back to GoDaddy. That's it. It's a race. The race is on. Sweatybootholecom <laughs> Hands are off the keyboard. And they're in the and they're in the shopping cart. They're getting to the checkout, and the winner right? is. <laughs> Who's gonna win? We can't go on until we find out. Someone, someone, someone in the Discord channel is gonna own it, or one of the hosts. Is Tune in next it. week, same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> We'll know in a minute. We'll know in a minute. I, it's, People oh, have money to spend. It's actually. What really, do you want to say about it? Fun on this show. It's bad. Uh, basically, <laughs> is what it boils down to. Uh, well, in really, million devices at risk. Uh, there's that. Uh, the line that I read, and I, I read probably three different articles about this, and I'll know more once I speak to my friends at Eclipsium. 
who've been on the show in the past uh, and are mm-hmm. doing an interview with us next week uh, for our virtual hacker summer camp. But uh, this vulnerability is a buffer overflow related to how Grub2 parses its grub.cfg configuration file. It's interesting how even still today, many vulnerabilities come down to parsing yeah. and our uh, inability to parse and mm-hmm. just how much mm-hmm. it sucks to parse user data, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, an attacker with admin privileges on the targeted system. And here's where it doesn't matter. Like admin, whatever. They can modify this file so their malicious code is executed in the UEFI environment before the OS is loaded. Right. Which means anything you load in the OS is completely irrelevant, doesn't matter. My right. malware is getting reinstalled on the system. And, and this has been our fear and our prediction for some time. And the fine folks at Eclipsium have uncovered this attack. It turns out it extends to not just Linux and Windows, but hypervisors and embedded systems and all kinds of things use oh, no. Grub2. Oh, no. It could be in the cloud? Uh, yes, from what I understand. Oh, yeah, this, this is serious from a physical attack standpoint. Like This is one of the things that... This is one of the only defenses that we offer from like physical attacks when we're doing like big physicals against large organizations. Like we're always going to get in, we're always going to find something that we can, you know, uh, get past your bootloader, boot something up, get access, pull hashes. Like there's always a way to implant, right? Unless you're doing good TPM management and secure boot. With this, where you're losing that secure boot option, and you're actually able to shim. Uh, which is what we right. typically use a, a shim in memory that allows us to bypass authentication. Mm. Like with this, you can you can set a long term implant either in memory or hardware level. That's when. Uh, but not just implant it, like extrapolate this out to like not Petya. What, was it Maersk? Was the shipping company that was one of the companies mm-hmm. hit hardest by not Petya? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, running were. around reimaging machines. Long gone is that. Right? No. Yes. Now you've got to throw your machines out and get new ones or somehow rewrite your bootloader or UEFI firmware to get rid of it, right? right. It's at least an extra step if that step well, is even a feasible. At least, go back, like, to a, at least go back to a clean uh, bootloader. So. Right. You have right. to get back to a clean bootloader. Not like bootloader. you can pop the chip off and pop a new one in either anymore. Well, that's true. Right. We used to be able to do that you with did. some of the older machines. De-solder, right? De-solder, oh, yeah. re-solder. You could desolder it, right? Uh, done it. I just didn't think I didn't realize that they were getting the Grub two behavior in under some of the Microsoft and some of the others OSs. I I got I got Great. the Linux connection. Yeah, that made no, I agree. Surprise. Um, and that's damn. what happens when you open source a bootloader <coughs> and it yep. actually works. Everyone uses it, right? And suddenly it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, that's a that's a bad thing. That's. <laughs> I saw the um, story. I was like, "Oh hell!" I saw that come out of uh, MSISEC, and I was like, "That's that's not cool." Yeah, there's a bunch of places that have been picking it up. Uh, it, it was, yeah, it was like a, I believe they're presenting at Black Hat uh, about it, but have already done their due uh, diligence um, in notifying everyone. Right. That literally came out this afternoon. I mean, I I got like a notification from yeah. MSISEC like this afternoon, like an urgent patch immediately kind of notifications. I link to uh, the Eclipsium uh, PDF that outlines <laughs> everything uh, in, in their research of what they're disclosing right now. So You should definitely read that story. I mean, that's, that's a very <coughs> interesting thing. Yes, for sure. And tune in next week. We'll have more uh, yeah, information on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that. that's yeah. something to be 
you know, examined. The first time I met next the, all the next folks. Week? <laughs> next week? Or two weeks from now. It'll, have, no, yeah. it'll be next week. Is there a show next week? So sometime during Black Hat. <sighs> now I'm going to have to pull it pull it up. But, uh, That's what <laughs> anyway, go on to the next story. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I've, I've got a quick one. And it's, uh, again, I haven't been here in a little bit. So it is a, a little bit on the older side. But it was just one that we were talking about. And it was incredibly fascinating for me. One from the disclosure and the patches. But there was also some really interesting stuff that came out of that that I didn't expect. Uh, so in July, uh, Oracle did their big patch update. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in that huge Oracle thing... Did you guys already talk about this? No. Mm. No, no, no. Keep going. Uh, looking at the sets of Oracle vulnerabilities, there were 275 remotely exploitable vulnerabilities in Oracle products without authentication. Dang. <clears throat> yeah. Dang. But, but the part that, that, does that span multiple versions, I hope? Uh, yeah. Current version. Okay. So, um, multiple versions, multiple products. Um, so there's like Enterprise Manager for Fusion Middleware, MySQL Server, Oracle Coherence. But the biggest one that I found interesting was you go down to the Oracle Financial Services stuff. So there's a list. And there's a specific package called Oracle Financial Services Regulatory Reporting. And there's another one. uh, It was in the the show notes here. Um, uh, The the Netherlands Bank? Yeah. So, (laughs) based on that, the Dutch Central Bank has their own custom version of Oracle Financial Services. Yeah. And yeah. it was vulnerable. Well, they, yeah. they do that. You know, they come they come in and you, you hire them, and they come in and they build, like, a custom instance of all that stuff. Right. But that was the only custom instance that was listed in the vulnerability disclosure. Mm-hmm. Of all of the products um, that were, uh, were listed, the only one that had any sort of customization for a specific customer listed for a specific customer was the bank yeah (laughs) Yeah. who has their own custom version (laughs) sorry uh so next week wednesday august 5th 7 to 7 30 john lucage the vp of research from eclipsium uh will be part of our virtual hacker summer camp uh in appearing on esw sweet cool I knew that was in there somewhere. It took me a minute to find it. It's okay. Next story. Next that story. Where do we want to ooh, go? Ooh, oh, my turn. Wait, my turn. Wait, wait, go ahead, Jeff. Well, I only have one story. And in fact, I'm remembering I should have put up two stories. But aside from that, um, my story that I shared is really just a visa security alert. And I, I had a few questions. Oh, is it the Edward Snowden it. story he wrote for Wired? Is that your story? No. Oh, no, no, that's not your story. <laughs> no, please no. Jeff, will this, will this story involve you saying PCI? Yes. Yes, it will. Oh, okay. God. What kind of good? Okay. Really? That's- I got my whiskey ready. My All right, we're ready. Um, okay. I'll just lean on it. 
Um, <laughs> no, apparently Visa published uh, an announcement because they're seeing some new variants of, of some point-of-sale scraping malware, uh, and they're seeing it because some merchant somewhere that was hit by it. And it happened to be an EMV merchant, so they, they got card data, but they didn't get any, they didn't get the CVV because right. EMVs Wait, e- use a CVV. What's an EMV merchant, Jeff? EMV merchant is one that's using an EMV chip card. So if you're if you're sliding the card in rather than swiping it, yep. that's an EMV card. Okay. And, and what so, it does, so we have to revise our old sweeper, Paul. You don't slide your card here anymore. You have to insert, insert your card insert your here. card here for a donkey show. Insert your card here. That's right for a donkey show. Um, that's not and, my card. And, and nowadays. Nowadays you can tap it. But what was interesting yes. was I had a I had a coworker ask me would a vulnerability scan you know she knows I used to work at Tenable uh, would a, a vulnerability scanner pick up on these variants of malware that they're talking about? And I'm like, well, no, that's not really what vulnerability scanners do, unless the malware happens to be exploiting some you know known vulnerability. It, it would detect the vulnerability. Um, and and I was like, well, you know. What was disturbing was, you know, there's at least three different requirements in PCI that should detect this type of malware, and obviously at this merchant that, you know, it didn't, which is kind of annoying because it it reinforces the idea that people are just paying lip service to their compliance. They say they're doing it, but maybe they're not really doing it. The three areas briefly are antivirus, anti-malware tools, uh, uh, logging any addition, deletion, or modification of system-level objects, and then good old file integrity monitoring, where, again, you should be detecting any changes to your systems. All of these malware variants, you know, create files. And then, but this is my question for you guys, and it's why I brought it up in the earlier segment. They're doing uh, the data exfiltration exfiltration, uh, via DNS tunneling. And I'm I'm asking myself what in PCI, but to put it more generically, what is a security best practice? Is your best way of either a preventing or b detecting uh, somebody that's doing DNS tunneling as as a as a way to it's, it's do great, data exfiltration? Great question, Jeff. And I think that uh, it's difficult for compliance standards to kind of hone in on this particular type of data, right? I think Mm -hmm. generically many different standards, uh, maybe PCI included, right? Are like, well, you need to look for anomalies in your, as we were talking about in the previous two segments on this show, in your network traffic, full packet capture, in your NetFlow, or in your logs, all of which could collect the data that then you would need to analyze to detect DNS tunneling. To detect Mm -hmm. DNS tunneling, you need to do the very specific, and it's really not, uh, I say specific, it's not all that complicated, right? The analysis of your DNS traffic to detect DNS tunneling. If you were to look at your DNS traffic in the ways that Siddharth talked about, in the ways that Corey talked about, and you know, probably yeah. o- almost 100 different segments uh, over the 15 years on Security Weekly, we've talked about analyzing data. DNS, mm. DNS tunneling should stick out like a sore thumb. Yes. Like any yeah. anyone, correct me if you think I'm misspoken on that point. But hmm. if you're analyzing DNS traffic, tunneling sticks out like a sore thumb. 
And that's not even just looking at specific the record type of a text record, right? That could be yeah. a different forms of DNS tunneling. Mm -hmm. It basically generates way more like host to, to host communication traffic right. in terms of number of packets, data size, the entire uh, basically byte size of the conversation between two hosts is way more than normal DNS traffic. It's one of those anomalies that's very easy to pick out, but very difficult to kind of build into a standard like you should look at all of your protocols and look for misuses you know, of that protocol. That's a very generic statement. And yes, people should do that. But DNS tunneling is very specific, but I think very easy to pick out if you're looking if for it. If you're looking for it. And people yeah. should look if for it. John Strand has been very vocal about this. Like, mm -hmm. this is not a hard thing to look for. Everyone should look for it, right? Like, we built it into but Rita and the, the open source projects and the commercial projects. Um, you know, uh, off of active countermeasures. You have to have like, somebody capable of looking for it and somebody who will know what they're looking at when they see it. And, and, or oper and then operationalize. Like we're talking with Corey, like look at your DNS traffic. Go, oh, look, I can detect DNS tunneling. Let me then operationalize that so that basically that lights up and a ticket is automatically generated or something yeah. is automatically blocked. And a mature security on organization will see it, but a, yeah. a very so, early one won't. So yeah. two, two, maybe one question, one comment. Uh, you're speaking to the detection aspect of it. Is there a way to effectively minimize the likelihood that it is a successful avenue of data exfiltration, let's say by doing some sort of egress filtering or just having tight uh, you know, outbound firewall rules? Mm. Good point. You can't stop the initial... Not really. Not really, right? I mean, like like You have to wait till it gets to a certain point, right, Tyler, before it you actually stop it, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, way, the way DNS tunneling is typically done and the way DNS C2 works is you're using their DNS traffic against them, right? Like, you're not even going out to the Internet directly. You're going to their DNS server and requesting mm -hmm. authoritative records. Uh, and with inside those AA records and responses is where you're tunneling your traffic. Uh, so those text records are, are what's doing it. So uh, really... At the end of the day, from that standpoint, I don't see any way other than anomaly detection to see those large volume of traffic going to subdomains, large volume of AA records going to multiple domains, uh, large volumes of DNS traffic from a particular host uh, going over to the DNS servers. So really, Tyler, anomaly Tyler when, did, when did you drop off into like early 2000s bandwidth levels? Good lord, I don't know. Like since my uh, since my data breach thing started, it's like max headroom up there. It's, it's, I think they're it's they, those they, they, they they state hackers. Back. They're going after them. Mm. D D so, D N S hacker hack hacker. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. other comment though is I, I hear what you're saying about it. It's 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 easy or it's it's easy to find if you're looking for it. Yes. My concern is that there's so many companies out there. Uh, the PCI community being a large set of uh, culprits, if you will. They're only doing, at best, what they have to do from a compliance perspective. H how do we, as a community, get the word out to them that, you know, PCI says to do this or whatever compliance you know, uh, standards you're, you're forced to follow uh, says you need to do this, Here's a good practical application of of doing that in a way that's actually going to likely prevent you from having having an issue. Yeah, I, well, I I would venture to guess there are systems that you could set a threshold that would uh, eventually block 
after a certain amount of basically anomalous traffic, right? Like it's normal DNS traffic until it reaches a threshold where it then becomes anomalous. So you uh, have exfiltrated like X number of bytes up to a certain point where you're like, hey, no, wait, that's not regular DNS traffic. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Jeff, I think it is an automatable uh, kind of feature into many security products. But also with the caveat, like there's an asterisk there that says... Basically, so much data is going to go out before you can determine that right. it's anomalous, right? But I think but there's the, but a that, But that's not answering my question. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lee. So I think there's two that you can, you can configure your DNS error to limit the payload size, which doesn't block it, but it's, it makes it makes it harder because that arbitrarily large packet doesn't, doesn't happen. And mm -hmm. as I'm seeing in our, in our, in our uh, Discord channel, and I've seen it, Elsewhere, if you've got a layer seven next generation type firewall, I hate to use the NG word, but if it's let's look, it can get configured to detect it and then shut it down. Mm. And as Paul says, there is some threshold. I mean, I don't think you can cut it out entirely, but you can stop it before it goes too far. Um, that's where limiting the size helps, though. It can only right. and not just the size much. of individual requests, right? But the size right. of the communication in general, right? No, it's because I can right. tune my DNS tunneling to be under 512 bytes, so it mm -hmm. stays in UDP, sure. right? But like, it, it, at some point, it's going to look anomalous, and you could configure it, it, it basically at some level to detect it. But it right. means so that would be the egress. Is that you yeah. limit the it's payload? Egress, if yeah. you limit the payload size, you you've limited the egress, uh, the capability uh, of it. Not just the individual still, payload size, but the overall session size. Yes, right. So like, once yeah, you start exceeding yeah. those boundaries, yeah. now, but right. but again, right. you got to set that up. You got to be looking for it. You got to be taking right. action when it happens, or it's all just going to get by and, you. Before and look, you, even we, see it. you know, they didn't build into the RFC the flip over to TCP no. after a certain size, just like for like shits and giggles. Like there's practical applications to that, so you will yeah. break legitimate zone transfers are one thing. So you do have to be careful about. Yes. Uh, Wait, blocking. people people still do zone transfers. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a great point, uh, Larry. Like so much of our DNS really is kind of like outsourced and stuff, right? Like many of us don't have our own DNS system. If it is, it's internal, right? Right. Well, not, not to belabor this, I'll say it once more and then we can move on, but you're not answering my question. You guys are telling me <laughs> how to do it. Right. My question well, how do is, how it? do you convince people to do it within the, the, within the construct of all they want to do is the minimum of what they have to to be compliant? Okay. So when it comes to perimeter protection, uh, particularly a lot of those folks that are in heavily regulated space, something like a next-generation firewall is a broader set of tools to help limit access because it's running up at Layer 7 because of all the things they can't do. So adding something like this would be more successful than if you're in an environment where, what do you mean Layer 7 protections? What do you mean egress protections lee you're still you're not answering just questions <laughs> you're not no, i'm just saying you're, what you're trying to do is you've got to get them to learn that there's a comprehensive solution that'll take care of multiple problems you're not focusing on one and you're right you've still got to sell bring you got to get the horse to jump in the pond and start doing the backstroke but i'm saying the success factor is based on showing multiple returns on 
more sophisticated products than we used to talk about. This and the horse a- has a horn in the front, which makes it a unicorn. Which Only is- the pink ones. <laughs> and it's pink. And sweaty. Well. And it farts rainbows. And I the, know. And the, the pink horse with the horn on the front that farts rainbows is an anomaly in your network that you can detect very much like DNS tunneling, Jeff. Oh. Does that answer your question? Let, let me let me try a different question then. Um, I got to change questions at least. Well, I'm giving I'm giving up. Nobody's answering he my question. He just surrendered. He's like sweaty pink unicorns farting in, rainbows. In, I'm out. Out. in order of priority, or if I could only do two or three out of the four things that we're talking about doing, one being monitoring, two being you know, having some sort of antivirus, anti-malware type of product installed, and we could argue about the utility of those or not. Uh, uh, well, logging and monitoring is maybe it's only three because logging and monitoring and actually reviewing the logs and monitors is a PCI requirement. But it's what you're looking for, or having something like file integrity monitoring that's to trying to detect. So. Detect the malware, detect the malware, or detect the the unusual anomalous traffic. What is in priority? What is what is what is the best bang for the buck? So this falls on a five, right? On a scale of one to ten in C two communications that you want to uh, prevent uh, in your network, right? Not even detect, but like block uh, first and foremost. Maybe detect is a second thing. On a scale of one to ten. One being like the most obvious uh, C2 communications, clear text over HTTP mm-hmm. that's completely anomalous that you could detect very easily. Ten being the most sophisticated attacker in the world that's using steganography or some other technique <laughs> that is super hard to detect to exfiltrate data. DNS tunneling to me is about a five. A- anyone else want to weigh in on that number? Roughly a five. I, I like it there. I mean, right, right? in the middle. I, right mean, five. I mean, if it's a five, yeah, I like it there. I would say that most um, PCI customers, Jeff, should probably be, you know, looking at about a seven or an eight at least on that scale uh, of detection. With DNS tunneling being a, at a five, I so think it's definitely higher volume. Up, yeah. Uh, you know, nation state targets and financial companies are going to be. They're going to be the nines, yeah. the nines, yeah. and and right. all the. But the P, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you got to be looking at that, mm-hmm. and it ought to be in your capture range. Agreed. If it's a five, I agree with the seven. I think. Do you? you should, are you prior to, prioritizing that over detecting the malware in the first place, whether it's through file integrity or anti-malware, whatever tool you might have put out there that satisfied your PCI? That's a different layer, different problem. That's a different I mean, scale, Jeff. Yeah, I agree. I, with, I, I agree with Doug on that. Like that's a different mm-hmm. scale. Like the malware scale from one to ten in sophistication. Is another problem. It's like almost irrelevant. If you take the next phase of the attack of C2 communication, putting DNS tunneling as a five, right? Like if you, in the previous, for lack of a better term, kill chain, right? The malware that's infecting it on the scale of sophistication could be a one or could be a 10. Yes. Could be implementing DNS but tunneling. That's, that's a layer seven yeah, problem. And, and right. we're at a lower, lo- lower, a lower level. layer in OSI yeah. than If than it's the using malware, DNS tunneling, so. doesn't matter how sophisticated the malware is or how sophisticated your malware uh, and infection detection that's kind of next, rate is. Yeah, I, right. I agree. Next yeah. step in the kill chain is, is now, now, okay, so that happened. Detect the C2. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. 
Tyler, uh, Larry, you guys want to weigh in on this? Because like yeah, you guys uh, live uh, this well, like day to day, right? And and I'm going to throw this out there because Jeff just asked it in in Discord, and I think he's absolutely right. <laughs> what do I need to buy, and where do I need to put it? What do <laughs> yeah, I need to do right. to make it? Work? I just I just saw that. <laughs> <laughs> what blinky box do I need? <laughs> that's to buy a great question that I can ignore. But that's the question it I is. get as a I consumer every yep. day for right. the last 25 years. I agree with you 100. Don't explain it to me. I don't tell me the fives in this. I don't know what the fuck you're no, talking about. No, that's the question I would scale. get to. That's the question I would what get to. meeting is, is they, I start talking about layer three and layer four and layer five and layer seven. And they go, just tell me what I need to buy and where do I need to put it so that we yeah. don't have this problem. And, and so I agree with that. But so. that's why we have this problem. But yeah, Larry was going to answer the question. Let Larry answer the question. Actually, no, I wasn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> quite honestly, I don't know that there is an answer because there is no one blinky box. And buying a blinky box that you ignore doesn't do anything. Yeah. And I think that Paul and Doug were hitting on the problem in that detecting the malware coming inbound is a different problem than detecting what the malware did once it was already there doing yes. the exfil. I think those are two separate problems that you need to solve, and they may not be able to be solved best With of breed the same solution. Yeah. And one may solve so, the other. I mean, if, if the malware can't get into the first place, then it's not a problem, but if it's already there, uh, yeah, I, I mean... But now, I, now, Doug, you know the malware is going to get in. It's just a matter I of do, time. and I, I say when, that all the time. And I'm 100% with you on that. I, it's an infinite well, series. But, but it's that's what I'm in. trying to get at. That's what I was trying to get you guys to say, is it's more important to detect what the malware is doing I agree. than to spend a gazillion dollars on, on a blinky questionable box. products and blinky boxes that may or may not catch the the malware and guess what they're always i mean the, the malware that they were talking about in this visa alert that was published like two days ago are variants of malware that's been around for eight years so jeff if, if you want why is it a variant because they're finding if, new ways to make it work to defeat whatever protections are out there that are attempting to prevent it jeff if you want my opinion uh yeah i think you sort of nailed it that in, in my opinion if you're going to spend some money, it's probably better to do um, the detection than the protect protection. So if you if you had to balance, I'd balance more on the side of the detection yeah. than mm -hmm. the protection. I agree. You know, maybe sixty forty, but it's going to be I a agree. tight race no matter what. But the the all have to do both. The but all new, one of them is going to be perfect. The all new Security Weekly Blinky Box is now available for twenty nine ninety nine. Will solve all your uh, your problems. And that's solved. your but that's your DefCon badge. Just segue <laughs> into something different. It's a DefCon Li license from PC Matic. I had a, a <laughs> the PC. Matic. I have a cassette player. And you didn't want to open the cellophane. I know. I'm gonna open it. You know, I'm going to. So. I have a cassette player hey, that I plugs know. into USB. I know. In, I do too. Computer, but, but so I just hate to open it. I will. I will say from a DNS standpoint, like just so that the people don't feel like they can't detect DNS. Almost all of the modern-day firewalls and SIM uh, solutions out there, whether they're free or paid, have the ability to do uh, DNS detection. And that's simply looking at uh, subdomain anomaly size for TXT, looking at random characters within inside of the subdomain request fields. Um, yeah, DNS, like Tyler, like sorry, uh, Tyler, like even uh, Security Onion that implements Kibana, if you give it a, a packet capture or bro, you can go to a dashboard and you can link your DNS traffic and go, oh, well, that, that's DNS tunneling. Like, it doesn't, even your junior level, like, it's a very if, basic thing. If you thing. do it. It's <laughs> outliers. Like, it's outlier analysis, right, Tyler? Yeah. 
or or even or even looking at at your DNS servers, like whether mm-hmm. you're using Microsoft or or Linux product, like the logs from your DNS servers, yep. whether you're feeding those to a SIM or not. If you're just specifically looking for DNS tunneling, like right. there's a yeah, lot uh, of you got to get your query logs, but you got to get your query logs into your SIM, which is one thing. Yep. I mean, you do have to do oh. that. Gravel's got a really nice uh, yeah, free right. uh, NetFlow right now that they're they're offering yeah. in the community. So <laughs> you have really that. no excuse no to way. not detect C2 via DNS. And we'll be real, if, if I'm having a hard time getting outbound or you're doing good, um, say, categorization filters or using something like Polo or Bluecoat where you're, you're looking at the, uh, the rules and kind of anomaly detection there, uh, DNS may be a, a good fallback for a lot of malware. It's a good fallback that we use for C2 as, you know, mm-hmm. I've chewed through three or four different techniques using Google, using a Slack bot, using a request Twitter. out to GitHub, uh, things to Twitter. When those mm-hmm. don't work or there's blocking or very specific egress filters, uh, then DNS tunnel is the way to go. So I would say that, yeah, I wouldn't rate it as like, hey, you need to go detect DNS like today. Uh, your five is probably fairly accurate, but I would put that as a priority and a security roadmap for C2 and communication detection because that right. just that goes to the higher level problem and heuristic or behavior level where are you doing good logging and able to detect anomalies and heuristics? Are you doing good captures and have that visibility into your network? And are you looking at the logs from things like DNS where common and known C2 is leveraging and abusing? Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about uh, Edward Snowden's article on Wired. Um, I will categorize it as very wordy. Did you, I don't know if you guys read this, um, but he says things like, Meanwhile, the corporations of the world digested the realization that their darkest shame, their willful complicity in crimes against the public, had not been punished. And like, basically the whole article reads like that. Sounds like, like I wrote it. It does. It's very wordy. It's very it's very wordy. He says rather these collaborators had been actively rewarded with either explicitly retroactive immunity or informal guarantees of perpetual impunity. Definitely sounds like I read Yeah, you have to read this article. That's, not, that's a lawyer. <laughs> you gotta read this article a couple of times. He says they became Which, our latest big brother striving to compile perfect refer- records of our private lives for profit and power. From this emerged the contemporary corruption of our once free internet called surveillance capitalism. I have to say, if I can pick apart the wordiness in it, it Edward's saying the thing that I've said on the show for a long time, and that is a lot of people don't trust the government. More so, I'm of the opinion in my experience the past 15 years, especially having a podcast that we want to have out on the free and open internet, that my greater concern are the large corporations, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, right, that have the capability to really limit your voice, yeah, to really limit your freedom of speech more so than the government is, is what I took from that, right? Now, obviously, there's a whole article in... There's a whole backstory with Edward Snowden. We've covered it on the show several several times and talked about it uh, at length. Everyone, There's a lot of facts out there. There's a lot of opinions out there, and that's fine. But if we're looking at what Edward is saying today, I got to say, I, I, like, I, I, I agree. If I'm reading this correctly, because, again, it's wordy to kind of pick apart. If I'm reading this correctly, Edward's saying something I've said on the show for a long time that I'm very concerned about uh, the reason why I want to publish our videos on our own hosting platform rather than YouTube because 
if I were to sing a popular song and be close enough, that video wouldn't get published because of copyright restrictions, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. One thing that people don't realize is you see all these people getting mad about the Second Amendment, you know, government filtering, all this stuff. The government really doesn't control these these corporations. These are right. private business entities. Yes, they cooperate to a certain extent, but the government has about as much control as uh, you know whoever's putting money in lobbying for whatever yeah. particular thing is happening that the is good for the the company. So we really have to realize and take that mindset shift and and focus it back to the corporation. The corporations now. You know, they control the media, they control what is published on their platforms, and to yep. an extent, they control what the government is able to control and not control. But and on so, the flip side yeah, of that, right. but on the flip side of that, Tyler, when the government wants access to an Apple customer's data, Apple has set a precedent that they're like, no way. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, how does the government even control these things anyway? I mean, I mean, William Gibson was writing about this back in the 80s, and yeah. it was one of his obsessions that, that corporations will become governments. And That's I mean, it, if, you watch, mm. if you watch those hearings yesterday mm -hmm. with, with Bezos and all these guys, they're sitting there in their chairs. Was that yesterday? There was scheduled was to be a hearing. No, yeah. they had a big hearing. Yeah. They aired it all. If you watch, you know, if you watch Zucker, if you watch mm -hmm. Zuck and all these people sitting there, uh, there, there's these basically people from the government saying, now you're going to do this, right? And they're going, I see. Sure. Because the yeah, government... They're basically going like, I'm going to do what I want. But now. what does the government right? do to Zuckerberg if, if they don't like what he's doing? He says, okay, I'll take Facebook and move it to Vancouver and right. bite me. Good luck with that. You can block it with your great firewall. Sure, buddy. And I'll put up my own private internet because Bezos large, can just build the Amazon net. Large companies like that already have a presence in other countries they do and i like mean i mean all way. they got to do is just say go ahead and tell us this and you're only back the only option you have as a government is to do what china did which is to build the great firewall and say we're going to block all this content that we can't control and even then everybody gets around it a yeah. hundred different ways so the only thing the government could really do because this is like the tiktok ban I, I they kept talking about the tiktok ban and i'm like how exactly are you going to ban tiktok I mean, you can. You don't even have a great firewall. So if the Congress says, "Now look, guys, you're going to have to do something about this," the the Zuck's going to sit there and go, "Yes, we'll keep that in mind. Thank you for your input." But it, what's going to happen is, like in my example of you know my oldest son, they're going to move to other platforms that mm -hmm. maybe aren't based in China. Maybe they are, and it's just covered up, but have the same privacy on restrictions in the various yeah. app stores that TikTok did, but they're just not making the headlines. Exactly. And, and so everything is going to happen. But the government hasn't figured that out yet because the government yeah. still believes they're in charge. I right. mean, they have, to, they have to convince everybody that they actually have everything under control and that we can control this. We can protect your right. children from the horrors of comic books. But the reality is, is good luck they with that. They can't control anything. No, we can't control the content on these platforms. If there's one thing we've proven, we can't control the content on these platforms. It's a pipe dream. Like YouTube, uh, I don't know if I added the article about, uh, it was, to me, the reason why, as a developer, uh, using the YouTube API, that I am in a world of hurt and just constant pain and suffering is because this story that came up where someone took... Uh, like a fake Steve Wozniak something 
and used his name or his quotes or his picture or a combination thereof to disseminate fake videos and used other people who were famous uh, to do that. Those videos existed on YouTube's platform for X amount of time. Steve Wozniak and others filed a class action lawsuit against YouTube and said that it's YouTube's fault because YouTube wasn't able to pull down those videos fast enough. Therefore, <laughs> right. like the rippling effect from that is that in order now to get a developer account on YouTube and get your app verified and be able to post videos that aren't private by default, you have to go through an enormous amount of red tape. And that's not, I mean, maybe it's because YouTube hates their users, but it's also because YouTube doesn't want to get sued by people like Steve Wozniak. Right, yeah. but then the videos just go elsewhere, and they're still there. Right. So and, and it's just—I mean, it's right. just an, an ending. You know, the, you're, you're trying to chase this modern demon with these ancient approaches of the police will save you, and instead you're chasing this thing across these sovereignties, and right. and, and nobody knows who's in charge, and it's just total chaos. What well, comes down but to you like know, the you whole? Have to realize. Go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, you have to realize that the government. I mean, that is in order for other systems that tie into this take the financial market right the financial market worldwide globally works on stability and the understanding and reassurance of the public and the government's ability to back whatever you know whatever we're spending it on and so if we don't have that with inside of platforms and control the financial market starts to fall and therefore we have to start making sure that the market looks good and we have news to do that and we have to control that to a certain extent so these platforms all play into the global scheme, no one really has control of everything. And that's kind of the piece that people don't realize. Anybody that's worked in the government knows that it is not organized enough and divisions <laughs> do not talk and coordinate enough to do kind of the spooky things that everybody thinks they do. Yeah, we have some coordinated efforts and we do some cool things, but at the level that people think we do it at, not a chance. Like and there's it, too And many it's not fast enough. It, I mean, it, it, it's going to take them so long to respond that by the time they actually get around to developing white papers, hearings, and all this stuff, two years has passed, and everybody's going, they pass a law against TikTok, and everybody's going, what's TikTok? You know, I mean, uh, and they're going, we now yeah, have a law. We're protecting your children. And then now it's likey. Yeah, and it's like, but it's... By the time yeah. the law hits the books, likey is the new thing, and they're like, mm -hmm. we have banned TikTok. We have protected you. And in reality, it's like, oh, I don't care. Nobody uses yeah, then, that anymore. So then everybody's moved to the cloud, right? And, yeah. and now we're talking about all of our reliance and everything that we're doing uh, with the big shift of all the major corporations, banking, uh, global industry at a whole is moving to the cloud. And this cloud, the cloud, is controlled by three or four major players. And those major players have control. They are private businesses. They have yeah. the ability to do what they want. And so really we yeah, are kind fortunately, of at a fortunately, Tyler, Amazon wants money and therefore I can host whatever video I want on S3 as long as I'm paying my bandwidth bill, dude. Uh -huh. Like it's all good. In fact, it the latest version of our software that we released, guess where we're posting our videos to? Uh, by default at first, it's not YouTube because of all the issues. It's S3 right and they're running specials they're like hey cloudfront you can get free for 12 months because we want you to pay the bill to amazon right we want you to host all of your infrastructure on amazon mm -hmm. and pay the bill therefore we're we'll off of these specials and we and we're doing it right i'll host our videos in s3 <clears throat> totally fine 
I'm not my video is not being taken down because of copyright infringement. Whereas on YouTube, again, if I cough and it sounds like a copyrighted song, my video is taken down. Yep. Not the case on S3 as long as I pay my bill. And that gets into net neutrality, right? Like, oh, whoever's got the biggest you know, checkbook basically controls which content is being disseminated on the internet. And that's something I have a problem with, for sure. I mean, was it, did they say that yesterday Bezos's net worth exceeded like the GDP of New Zealand or something like that? And I'm like, well, Donald Trump famously said, I could go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and nobody's going to be able to stop me. Well, Bezos could make Donald Trump go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, Amazon's got a lot well, of well, and what's Amaz- it, what? Amazon, uh, and, and I say this having been there last October, which seems like a million years ago when we actually traveled, right. but but I was at their headquarters because I was keynoting their kickoff inaugural crypto conference. Um, I, it occurred to me, Amazon is a nation state. I mean, they had they had a crypto conference and they had like 150 cryptographers in the room. And I'm like, I haven't been around this many crypties <laughs> right. since my NSA days. Holy crap, they're a nation state. Yeah, and I don't know where they would rank, but I would imagine they're probably in the top twenty or thirty. Oh yeah, I just, you know, countries today, of the world. Today from Amazon, I just want them to ship my shit faster. <laughs> like that's really all I want right now. Like, hey, I AWS want that one is awesome and all, but like, and that's the- William Gibson's world. It's like you sign on. I'm an Amazon. I'm an Amazonian, right? And you become. And they def- they protect you and they take care of you and they give you insurance oh, and you're oh. part of that whole operation. Hey, Jeff Bezos. That's a really bad movie called The Circle and a couple Well, The Circle of, was uh, like that, but yeah, I mean yeah. but but I mean that was what Gibson was getting at with this. There's all these corporations and they really just run everything. Yep. I mean, look at Raytheon. Raytheon's one of the largest economies in the world. I, I mean, people worried about like Mozambique. Raytheon's the people that, I mean, they you know, they're a country. They're bigger than most countries. And if you think they can't call somebody in Washington and go, You're gonna do this mm-hmm. and they're all going, We're going to do this. Because if you don't, we'll just take our marbles and go home, and you'll be done. You know what's interesting, though? All of us have agreed so far with what Edward Snowden has said in his article. Yes. Or right. or he's agreeing with us. Or he's in a, agreeing in a with more us. concise yeah. way. In a more <laughs> in a very a very well written way. I will say it's no, wordy, it's, but it's it, very well written. Right? If you like read a, the paragraph, I put like it, the whole. No, you do have editors at Wired. It, no, it, agreed, people. Jeff. Agreed, Jeff. When you write an article for Wired, Jeff. Having been part of the same organization that had editors, Jeff, that when, you and when I both you, worked at, right? They work wonders. When you go read the article, if you haven't read it yet, go read it and imagine that it's being read by Abraham Lincoln in a stovepipe hat oh, at Gettysburg. Like, yeah, and it totally, has a much totally. better impact on you. It's like, I, that was what I was thinking the whole time I was reading that. Oh, wow. It's like if Lincoln was reading this, it would be like, wow, this is one for the ages, guys. I have to say it's a great it's a great article. And Four if score. you know what, I agree or disagree with what Edward did or, or not, but we've moved on from that. Move on from that and, and read this read this read article. this article. It's a yeah. good article. It's a good I, article I, it, it really to read is. and form an opinion on. Whether you agree or disagree, and it says it in a very eloquent way. It does. It does. Agree. Yes. I, it's not too often that we cover an article that's written in this way, that's thought provoking and very just eloquent. Four score and twenty seven versions ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, having said that, reading articles on the internet, <laughs> hackers broke into real news sites and planted fake articles. Uh, this was a ghostwriter campaign. They deployed a bolder tactic. They hacked the content management systems of news sites and basically posted their own stories. Why not? I mean, why wouldn't you do this? Now, the, <laughs> the, the bone I have to pick, and this ties into Tyler and I believe some of Lee's articles as well, is in this article, we're talking about ghostwriters, which is basically propaganda that's tied to... Uh, other types of things, uh, events happening in Poland and such, yeah, right? But at mm -hmm. the end of the article, they're like, well, uh, I f really feel, Jeff, to your point, that we have editors. And the editors were like, you know, we haven't talked about Russian GRU. So, like, we don't have any evidence that the GRU had anything to do with this, but we should mention them in this article. <laughs> Might as well. And so, by no evidence whatsoever... The article actually states, while FireEye has made no such claims that the Ghostwriter news site compromises were the work of GRU, they argue that the incidents in Poland and the Baltic should nonetheless serve as a warning that it, it, could, be, it could be GRU. That's a William Randolph Hearst tactic where you, you just ask a question and, yes. and, and then it, right. you, you cannot be called out. So you go, could this be the GRU? It could be, but... Could it? And then you're, it's you're where covered. propaganda and social engineering come in a crossroads. Absolutely. Like, totally in a crossroads. And Tyler and Lee, I think you had... Right? Like, you had articles about GRU. They were actually about the GRU, not just articles about Ghostwriter <laughs> that were speculating. Could it be the GRU? Yeah. Is well, Doug White a secret so sex you're god? saying there's a chance. <laughs> The power of oh, suggestion. I'm the government, so we're going to have a meeting to schedule the meeting to talk about that, Doug. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, we'll we schedule that for early next year after the election. That's right. <clears throat> and then the following quarter, we'll have a focus group. That's right. And we'll hold hearings. We'll hold hearings by next fall. The 2021 fall, we'll have hearings. TikTok and, will and, be banned and, by God. And, and Lee is illustrating a great truth of government, not to paint everybody in the same light, but... It's so bureaucratic and it's so slow. Um, I I wonder why people are always worried about the big brother of the government. To go back to the last article, <laughs> and not all these very nimble large companies that are really just after your information so they can make more money. Jeff, I wholeheartedly agree with your statement. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Tyler, you had 18 articles. I believe some of them were about the GRU. And, and somebody's got to teach him how to put the articles in the wiki. He's he learning. Got, he got better. He got, he better. got better. He's learning. <laughs> PP works wasn't working. At least working the links anymore. are there. They have numbers this week. <laughs> you can play it on my software. You'd be totally, totally fine doing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, we would be we would be very disappointed, and we'd be naive if we didn't think that the China, like the other governments, are not actively working to try and infiltrate put disinformation misinformation control things happening getting you know people riled up we have an election year coming up we've got a pandemic and we have a controversial you know president slash country happening right now with a lot of turmoil like this is classic uh this is what nation states do this is the reason that they hack this is the reason that they have intelligence agencies this is kind of where we're at in the state of affairs. So really, you know, none of the things that come out surprise me. And honestly, I'm surprised that we're not seeing more of it, which also yeah. makes me 
worry even more that there's a lot more going on that's you know being covered up by all the smoke and mirrors in the news. Tyler, it, it, it makes me think, just listening to what you're saying, right, that like nothing happens by accident in terms of what we're talking about, right? I mean, Can't honestly, you look at that North and you think Korea about it, yeah. Well, hold on, Larry, what were you saying? The Sorry, it's re but real quick, Tyler. Can't we just go back to the good old days when, you know, all we had to worry about was North Korea launching a nuclear missile at us? Yeah, wouldn't it that seems be like a such, it was such simpler times. Mm. Or, Ru or Russia launching well, a nuclear well, missile at well, us. Well, I mean, in recent times, like, the, the big we make the joke the big news foil that we say oh it must have been a slow news day was when shark attacks show up on the news yeah and yep. like i can't believe it's a slow news day right about now because we had shark attacks on the news this morning we're the numb news. like I there was some in rhode island larry yeah What's that? recently there was some in rhode island shark attacks literally yeah Ma maine somebody got killed in maine yeah, yeah. like but yeah. We're, the fact that we're talking about shark attacks is because it's a slow news day like, yeah. we just go it's back because we're all weapons? numb to the crazy stuff. It's, but, what, it's, but what gets me, and I was thinking about this the other day, right? When we think about COVID-19, if you watch the news in the past few months, you never saw the news cycle cover, hey, look, here are these hundreds or thousands of people that tested positive for COVID-19 that were totally fine. You only saw the people who were diagnosed with COVID-19 that were in critical care that had survived and or, I mean, it, you know, God rest their souls, had passed away from COVID-19. That's mm. all you saw in the news, right? You never saw the positive aspects of it, right? And I think that's really where the news is very much slanted towards is... Sensationalism. Sensationalism. It always has been. Yep. That's, yep. Where, that's where you make money, right? And you start to think about like... Why? Why is that? What is the bigger picture? You look at mm. like even the hacker groups are targeting like the Vatican, for example. That's a big uh, one of my stories in there was on the Vatican and the Chinese government. Well, what is the big picture that makes the Vatican or a religious group, you know, a prime target? You think about where we're at in the world, and they control a large sect of uh, people that they're trying to keep out of China. They control a large sect of the voting population worldwide based on their recommendation and what they say. There's a lot to be said. They're a, an entity just like a, a corporation is. They're almost a government in and of themselves. So we have to think a lot bigger than I think we've been traditionally having to do. And the people that are thinking at this level, you know, even us just talking, we're talking about, you know, the 5 to 10 percent maybe uh, of Americans. You're, the other 80 percent is looking at the news. They don't have other sources. They're not typically thinking for themselves. They're, you know, at their work talking with people that are in their, you know, like field. They don't have the visibility and even some of the technical aspects or insight that a lot of us have. And so they have no other option. So really, the yeah, but like technical aspects, Tyler, like what I come down to is, oh, my God, if it's an image posted on social media that is stating some kind of fact like instantly red flag should go up. You should validate that, right? Because like I think 99% of the time, if it's an image that is portraying a fact, it, it's bogus. Like completely. Tell, tell that to your mother-in-law. Right, Jeff? Did, did I say that out loud? In the media, right? We're, we're dealing with the generation where the media was the true source, was the true fact, yeah. and that was the only way to disseminate that information. And you're bringing along a lot of the people that are still linked to that mm. generation mindset and technical capability and aptitude. And so there's no real way for them to distinguish right from wrong. And you have to, you, that, you have to keep it simple. Noise. 
if it gets too complicated, yeah. it's not going to make the news because the minute you start talking about DNS tunneling, everybody's like, I don't know what that is. So, but so <laughs> I think Tyler's one hundred percent right. It's it's back to like Walter Cronkite and the idea that Walter Cronkite says is the war in Vietnam lost, and everybody's right. hanging on the edge of their seat because if Walter Cronkite says the war in Vietnam is lost, everybody goes the war in Vietnam is lost. Mm. But today it's but, not that simple. There's eight thousand sources. You don't know which one to trust. This one's saying this. This one's saying that. This person's saying that alien DNA is being injected into vaccines, and some people are going absolutely. I believe that. And, and I'm, 5G is somehow... 5G is going to turn you into Bill Gates and you're going to get that, a chip's going to grow inside your nostrils. Is that the latest? No, they're saying I mean, they see you know, all this ridiculous stuff and people just put it out there <laughs> and then it becomes a thing. And if it's something people can understand, mm. they grab onto it. You know, so and, right. and and Doug, the Flat Earther Society has memberships all over the globe. Mm. I know. I'm going to join right now. Uh, I'll say this. <laughs> to, I'm, I'm giving up. I'm just Paul. joining the Flat Earth Society. I'm saying the hell with it. They I'll make some good arguments. Paul. Has the Flat Earth Society now been sitting on the beach? And I, I get that, like, not everyone in the U.S. or across the globe has access to a beach. All right. But, like, put that in percent. You sit on the beach, and you're watching a boat, and it's going away from you. And all, all of a sudden, you can't see it anymore. Because the lenses in your eyes right. are curved. It, it, it's it just gets smaller illusion. and small. Like, that's not an optical illusion. That's because the Earth is freaking round. <laughs> no, it's because your lenses in your eyes are curved. And that Fake makes things, news. you know, it's refraction. <laughs> oh, God. And 5G I'll say waves. An alien DNA. That, and and this is 80% alien DNA. Is not a thing. Get to alien. Come on now. Let's. <laughs> All right. I'm getting out the there. swabs. <laughs> I, I wanted to say to yeah. you, Paul, because you were just, you know, you were saying, ah, oh, the news does all this, <laughs> and we all, and we've gone off on that for, for the last five minutes. But five. the news is simply five, ten <laughs> years. Lost track of time, Jeff. The news is simply giving the public what they want. And yeah. If, yeah. If there wasn't a response, you know, so it's not the news's fault necessarily. You sell them papers. What people are willing to receive in and, and accept. Um, Sadly. I, I am more aghast as an old timer curmudgeon type that so many people are, they count as their news sources, Facebook, mm -hmm. Inst you know, social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, social media, and not the news print. It used to come in paper once a day, twice a day. Twice a day, mm -hmm. if you were smart. At the morning, morning and the evening. evening. That's right. Yep. Oh, yeah. My dad read the morning and the evening. I would remember that. At breakfast, he read the morning paper, and at dinner, he read the evening paper, and he did that every single day, and we got two papers so he could read the morning and the evening edition, and that way See, he I got did the Sunday paper and the, because I like the And the, the evening paper would have the actual results of Monday Night Football Yeah, because I could stay up late enough to watch the end of the game because I was a kid and I had to go mm -hmm. to bed, so I couldn't hear Dandy Don sing his song. And, and the morning paper was always going to press before the game was over, so the evening paper had all the sports results. But it had yesterday's paper. stock market results, so you kind of knew yep. that the Dow went up 20 points and everything was great. Mm. Unlike today, where it's like up two thousand, down two thousand, down five thousand, up four thousand. By the end of the day, you're just like buy, sell, trade. I don't know. Jump out the window. Alien uh, DNA. It's a cookbook. Stop. My it. other my other comment Tyler was going to be. Left. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the Soviets invented all this back in probably the 40s, if not the 30s. You know. It, 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 
you know, we used to call this propaganda, and and it's still mm. propaganda. It's just taken on a new form. Mascarocca. And, uh, no, Je- no, Jeff, I don't know if they invented it, but if they did, cool. Uh, but they I certainly would it. say that How's they that? perfected it. <laughs> mm. Yes. It's in my news in the 40s. Yeah, it's one of my stories. Is it the Russian word mascarocca? <laughs> hmm. What story? I think it's Molotov no, cocktail. <laughs> Maskarovka mean, means like because uh, I can't read headlines. All I see is URLs. Um, my, my bad. I my did. Bad. I did want to talk about the Garmin ransomware ha- hack. Yeah, um, we should okay. talk. Yeah. Vice. I think we should talk about that spill in your shirt too. <laughs> is there <laughs> only a little bit? It's alien DNA dribbling. I really out. am like just literally. Dr- Dribbling, yeah, dribbling he's dribbling myself. now. It's, 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 a, it's a hot mess. I do want to talk about my story number sixteen, regardless of the state of my shirt. Uh, the Garmin ransomware hack is horrifying, according to Vice. Uh, I saw multiple articles that were calling out yeah. the. So this is where I tend to speak. You know, transitioning right. I I try and validate our sources right of what's happening, and I do that by. Basically, talking to reading and or talking to multiple sources, and when I do that, I mention it on the show, and I get everyone else's opinion who's on the show that we all understand the facts uh, in the same way. The Garmin ransomware hack is horrifying. I believe is something we can all get behind that they are very lackluster when it came to security of certain product lines. The article that I read, which made me really shake my head, like the opt-out features. uh, So you can opt out uh, to gain more privacy. However, that means your features go bye-bye. So while most Garmin smartwatches, we were talking about that during the break, Larry, because you've got a a new fetish with watches, which is totally understandable, uh, do not connect to the internet natively and store workout information on devices themselves. The Garmin Connect app, however, does not allow users to transfer their workout information to the app without storing it on Garmin servers. Garmin allows users to opt out of this program um, of sharing workout information. However, opting out makes the app essentially useless. So this is a very this is very concerning to me from a privacy perspective that uh, I do get the as a consumer the ability to opt out. However, if I opt out, I lose a whole ton of functionality. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's not that's an opt-out. That's pretty much every wearable, though, right? Like, it is. If you're you right. At, if you look at all the wearables, that's you know the iPhone. If it doesn't have cellular connection, all of these wearables do the same thing. Mm-hmm. The the real key in that in that that you're saying, like the privacy was a big deal, right? Like everybody's wearables <laughs> are going to be at risk, but the product line in which they made the jump from the Garmin wearables to military Garmin GPS, which entirely different infrastructure, entirely different yep. regulation, entirely different product lines, and, and even company sides. So, yeah, the lackluster on the wearable sides, that's concerning, but that's pretty much every product that you, you look at and touch, especially if you're talking subsidized wearable fitness products that are selling for you know $50 and connect to your phone and just monitor your heart. Like all of those are going right. to be bad. They're because they're monetizing uh, your data, basically. Yes, yeah. that's how they subsidize it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big time. Ugh, like every just, other company we've been talking about tonight. Leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Like, but that's the <laughs> modern age. You got to get used to it. I mean, everything is like that. I mean, there's nothing that's not doing that at this point. 
I mean, there's no company I know of that's not monetizing mm. your data. And yeah, you can opt out, but then it's just kind of like, well, then we don't want you, so move on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just one step from just saying, look, either do it or just don't use something else, and there's no other choice. So you don't have to be on Facebook, but if you, if you want to be on Facebook, then they're going to monetize you, right? So you don't have to be on TikTok. You don't have to work out, <laughs> but if you want to, I've opted out of that. If you, if you really want to pull on your tinfoil hat, about the same time that right before the ransomware hap- happened, or right about the same time, Garmin just got uh, certified a function that's an auto land emergency landing system for yep. private planes. Right there. Now, basically, it'll take over the plane if it detects it's going to crash and land it safely, preferably and possibly at an airport for you. Huge piece <laughs> of IP. I mean, is airport you know, option? Is this a whole bunch of detraction from somebody taking some IP from Garland, Gar- Garmin, rather? And I mean, that's ransomware, yeah, we're, right? We're trying to make a play. <laughs> or yeah, uh, exactly. like uh, mailing random U.S. citizens like seeds to grow. <laughs> Is that well? I wasn't going that well, far down the you, hole, but you don't sure, even, why not? You don't. That's the best. That's the, well, the thing. Of the th- seeds is you don't even need to grow them. What do you do? You throw them in the trash, and where do they end up? They, the right. landfill. The, the landfill. landfill. They grow on their own. That's the slowest attack that ever existed in the history of the world. It's like we're gonna mail these weird seeds to you, and in fifteen to twenty years, these invasive species are right. gonna scourge you. Because up. like your options are okay, I throw them in the trash, or I flush them in the toilet, like. Or smoke them. Or, or like I mean, somehow I mean, maybe some of those seeds survive and grow. Right? Yeah. I mean, smoke them. No, I know. You're supposed to preserve them and turn them over to like agriculture. <laughs> I'm ready. But, but uh, a lot of people did turn them over to the local. No, you're supposed ag- to like yes. seal them up and call and they, the agriculture right. department and turn them. That's what you so should do. So please do that. And please uh, don't advise, smoke them. Yeah, advise your family and friends to do that yeah, if don't you do get uh, – because th- that's a really – Who me, knows like, what the hell they are? Like, look, if we were hackers in a different country and we were like – how do we mess up another country? Like one of the things we would do would be like, let's just mail seeds to like random people. And like, even if 1% of those people throw them in the trash, there's a chance they could grow and like take on and th- You know what I mean? Like, like we would do that as hackers. Like we would, that would know, be a viable like thing, weirdest right? thing ever. Like, okay, I'm going to plant these and then they grow into some kind of mutant Chinese vegetable. But even if one person plants them, right? Or, or maybe uh, a subsection of that actually throws them in the trash. No, or flushes I, them down the toilet, right? Like nothing is more Chinese than the long game. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like, it's yeah, like that's, so that's the Ugandan uh, spearfish game, right? Like Absolutely. Uh, the, the prince is going to give you some money if you give him some money. Mm. It's all, I mean, it's a very interesting thing, but yeah, that's exactly what hackers would do. But you got to be a long game hacker now. You got like in ten to fifteen years, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Now, Doug, you think about that from us here in New England, um, and, and sort of greater. Um, you think about Japanese knotweed. Yeah, that's that I mean, bamboo looking stuff that we yeah. all got grown in our freaking yards that you just can't get rid of. Yeah. There's there's something that I'm, I mean I, I mean I know I'm making light of it but it's actually like a really bad thing I mean, I mean it's, what was the stuff that grew um, in the south up on kudzu. trees kudzu. 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 kudzu it'll take over if you've it'll never been over. to the south it's and you've never seen growing. like a massive 
Like I have. Uh, like I saw a scrapyard once that North was Carolina. completely I, yeah. covered in kudzu. And uh, in fact, there was a field behind my parents' house that was completely covered in kudzu when I was a kid. It was just like a field. And that, but that came from somewhere in Asia, right? Yeah, somebody brought it over and planted it. And then, you know, it was, it was like a ground cover and it was like mm. really grew really and fast. It, but it grows and, really well in the south here in the U.S. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's, it's Same like, thing with the, 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 the knotweed here in yeah, the U.S. Absolutely. But, the good thing about the Asian knotweed here in the U.S., when you get them when the stalks first come up and you cut them, you can actually eat them. And uh, they supposedly them. taste like rain. Uh-huh. Interesting. Whatever rain tastes like. They taste like rain. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Every day I wake up and I'm like, man, I like a big bowl of rain. <laughs> 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 it's just like. God, it's like when I was a kid, we had big bowls of rain, and I remember mom going that's all, out. That's all, we could afo- that's all we could afford was big bowls of rain. <laughs> yeah. So mom would used to mom cook up going this. out to the rain barrel and saying, "Okay, we eat today." <laughs> what did they put in that rain cigar soup. you're smoking right now, Doc? <laughs> Chinese seeds. <laughs> I've been smoking them things all day. <laughs> okay, I, I I was feeling like we should wind down, but a, a headline caught my eye. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Let's do it, Jeff. <laughs> We're not winding um, down. Bring it. We're winding up. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Some, some of us have wives. Uh, so the headline is vulnerability allowed brute forcing passwords of private Zoom meetings. And my initial thought is what prevents you from brute forcing to begin with? So I'm intrigued by the headline. Did anybody actually read it? Uh, which story um, is it? Uh, it's, uh, sorry, that is, Paul. That is Paul's your number six. story six. Number, number, six. number six. I have those. It sounds good, here. right? I didn't actually read it though. I yeah, have well, not and, read and, that one yet. Unless it's giving you access to the hashes that or something like that. Sorry, there was a tool out there that went away that could brute force uh, the the passwords. Um, there was also yeah. one that could brute force the meeting IDs and, and, and that type of stuff. And it quickly went away, and I had a copy of it, and uh, I just kind of got rid of it recently just because I like, want to say I, I know, I know digital hoard so much. I want to say I know some of the people that wrote some of this code that disclosed this. and They're uh, HTTP requests that are cached, I think. And so, so Zoom caches all these credentials when the Zoom session starts. And I guess if you can send HTTP requests in during the meeting, you can actually extract uh, some of these passwords. Is this like a fixable bug? Is this just like yeah, a random number be, generator yeah. problem? Yeah. I mean, it's I a mean, fixable problem on Zoom's app. Yeah. Uh, detect users that are brute forcing passwords, guessing too many passwords for any individual session, and then block their IP. There you go. They put rate limits in. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Well, because you just need lead to your point, right? You just need to slow them down enough to make the attack. Jeff, uh, really back to your crypto problem, right? That you worked at when you worked for NSA. Slowing people down enough to make it infeasible to make it longer than the expected lifespan of the universe. Okay, okay. But, all right, so... Brute forcing is something that's always available. Of right, course, yeah. you have something to brute force yes. against. Yep. Uh, I'm reading through the article, and I, I think what they're saying and what you guys are alluding to, at least in part, was something enabled them to repeatedly guess the passwords, mm-hmm. which is not the same as brute forcing um, exactly. But I, I right. you know, only well, a creepy uh, that they were misspeaking. When I read this headline, I, I, I went to two different 
kind of barriers, right, uh, for this. Mm -hmm. You know, like one is the rate limiting thing that we're talking about, right? Like if in order to brute force it, you have to come to the Zoom central system to get the response that's like this is valid or not. You can rate limit and or block after a certain number of attempts, right? Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. The right. other thing that we're all very much aware of, and a lot of this kind of stems from like basically LM hashes, right? Is if what we're brute forcing, we can break up or in in Jeff, a lot of your examples, right? Like uh, crypto analysis, we can say like this portion of the hash I can easily calculate, therefore, it reduces my number of guesses by X number of times. And I, yep. I wasn't sure, again, not, it, uh, you know. It, but it's two different rate limiting problems. Exactly. Too. So there's exactly a rate limit. Yes. The, the rate limiting problem Jeff's talking about is that I can just always hit you with, with uh, sure. brute force. If but, I know nothing and I know the key space, but, but, like it's, not, saying, but I it's, can not, brute force. it's not by definition brute forcing. It's trying unlimited but, login attempts. But sure. if in the right. session, right. if I'm in the session, I may get around the rate limiting because I'm in the session. So I can continue to brute force even though I'm in and the rate limiting won't or, catch or me. Or I know basically like uh, it's not in plain text, but I know like the first X number of bytes of the password is calculated in this way and therefore i can calculate that based on known uh data points well, yeah, right? I mean, like if i know the custom url for the zoom thing and some other factors the first eight bytes are within this uh more constrained region and therefore I, I can basically reduce the number of guesses by anything a you can do to anything whatever. you can do yes. to reduce the name a factor space. of X. I right. Can reduce so if, the if I yet. know that the first letter in a password is A because they require it, LM I hashes right. Vastly, I know that I can exactly. break it up into two you vastly parts, reduce the namespace yeah, and you've exactly. reduced right. the amount of time it takes. Right. But, but if you can reduce the namespace and do brute forcing, is but more. if I can hit you inside the session, your rate limiting at the edge may not see that because mm -hmm. it looks like it's part of the session. So now I'm inside this Zoom meeting and I'm, I'm actually hitting you and everybody's going, yeah, it's just a Zoom meeting. Yep. Don't worry about so, it. So looking at the, the actual um, re report, it was in the web client. They resolved the issue. The big one was some ways in which default passwords were generated by the Zoom uh, auto-generated passwords, which were six-digit numerics, uh -huh. uh, which was what um, a million, was, what, a million, mm. yep, a yeah, million yeah. possible guesses. Um, it was fairly simple to go through those possible millions because there was no rate limiting uh, at Zoom's end, um, and uh, there were a few other things there. Uh, but what Zoom did was they started doing some rate limiting and they increased the length and the complexity of the password right. to include more characters and uh, more than just numeric. Well, La so, Larry, so I mean, when we you think about this in a Wi-Fi context, right? Like we, yeah. we look at WEP and we look at WPA and we look at Bluetooth and we look at all – like a yep. lot of it is basically – any tactic we can use to reduce our key space, mm -hmm. right, yep. enables that brute forcing attempt. A primary yeah. example, you can, for uh, WPA, WPA2, pre-shared key with WPS. Yeah. Uh, WPS, you use a pin to transfer a really complex password. Uh -huh. You could put a 63-character password on your WPA2 pre-shared key network. If you have WPS enabled, all you're guessing is an eight-digit pin. Mm. And then you got it. That, right. 
but that's but that's Bingo. a flight so, of guesses. So it, let me yeah. sum let me summarize. But um, what, Jeff, let me let me just finish this off real quick. Sure. Hundred million ahead. guesses for WPS. The problem is, is the WPS pin is interpreted not as an eight-digit pin, eight-digit pin. It is two four-digit parts. Four right. It processed independently. Mm. So now you went from a hundred million guesses to twenty thousand guesses because you have to do the four-digit parts. But the second half is only three digits because the last one's a checksum. So you're uh, down to right. eleven thousand possible wow. guesses. You're just reducing your key space because of the way it's processed. Right. Yep. yep. Well, and that's how early, early uh, Microsoft passwords yep. were yep. configured, and that's exactly. how the loft came along yep. with loft crack. Um, brute forcing, by definition, is trying all combinations. There's, right. you know, whether it's Great, feasible Jeff. to do in a reasonable amount of time or not is 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 a different discussion, but. Brute forcing is trying all combinations. Saying that they've got some sort of flaw, and I'm hearing multiple vulnerabilities really from Larry actually reading the article. You know, limiting the the limiting the length to six and only numerics is just making brute force brute forcing that much easier because yep. it's going to happen that yes. much quicker. Which is a separate vulnerability than enabling multiple login attempts and not. You know, not limiting how many times you can try to log in. Pop quiz, how many login attempts did PCI limit you to? Shit. <laughs> is it oh, two? I don't know. 42. Six. Ten. I was going to say The ten answer is six. And, 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 and how long is the minimal amount of time that the system must be locked out? I didn't know there was uh, going to be a test. After the lo- after oh, you've six. exhausted your Tyler, Tyler says six. six minutes. One hour. Thirty minutes. Thirty. One five. So I had both values halved. Thirty I minutes for administrative intervention. Right. That's not very many passwords. You better get it right. I'm never going to pass this cert test. Damn it. Right? <laughs> for, for, so for the record, this whole Zoom thing came along uh, because of uh, Boris Johnson hosting the first uh, cabinet meeting, the UK yep. government cabinet meeting over Zoom. Mm. Uh, and he took a screenshot and he shared it, which included the Zoom ID yep. for yep. the meeting. Yeah. And, yep. And this particular researcher, Tom... Uh, wanted to get into the meeting, and only he, he had everything he needed except for the password, which was six digits. Hmm. But it, it, you know what I love about this? Uh, laws aside, and I must don't do this without permission, right? But as we think as hackers, we think about this problem differently than many other people, right? We think about the shortest path to. How do I get in? We think about how do I reduce my key space, right? We don't think about like, oh, there's a password. I have to guess every single combination. We look for the, how do I reduce how many guesses I have to have, the shortest right? Path. The, the shortest path uh, to that. And that's really the hacker kind of ethos, yeah. which I just it's love. The, it plays into the fact that it's not whether or not you're going to get in. It's what's the most efficient way to get in because yes, the getting yes. in part is given. You're going to do it until you make it happen. Absolutely. I, I could get it in 20 years, right? But when we think as hackers, we're like, wait a minute. How do, how could I do this faster to make it practical, yeah. right? 
So if I just call yeah. some guy named Kyle down in the HR department and get him to give me the password, that's the shortest path. But that's what I love about hacking. It's like there's no cheating in hacking. <laughs> like if hacking is I social engineer Kyle, like well, like I that's mean, totally on the table, right? Yeah, like, hell yeah. Like look at the Twitter hack we covered the past couple of weeks. Like it wasn't about like I'm gonna break into Twitter. It's like no, just get some, I, get somebody. How to do click. I social engineer the user that has access to everyone? Find right? the easy. Yeah. It's it's, it's yeah. basic laziness. It's like yeah. what's the easiest way to do this it's like i wanted to go drinking but i still need to hack this system so i'll just call kyle and get him to give me the password but it comes down to like war games right like we all watched war games back in the day and we're like how do i get the password like oh like it's written down in the secretary's like pull out slider drawer thing and i just gotta go read that the password this week is pencil right like it's not yeah, it's just you wait for Comrade it. Boris to tweet a picture of the Zoom link. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I did have uh, three articles I was hoping Joff would cover uh, that do cover Python. Um, Python Developers uh, Prepare was an article, uh, an article from Johannes uh, from, uh, I, uh, from Sands, uh, who's Johannes awesome. Ulrich. Yeah, Johannes Ulrich, just awesome, awesome person. Uh, it spent a lot of time with Johannes, had dinner with Johannes, uh, just would love to, can't wait to hang out in person with Johannes again, right? Was talking He's about like, I mean, Johannes is very much a Perl programmer, and yeah. it, you can't, yes. uh, but you can't blame people that grew up on a language like that, totally get it. It's like, I'm on this Python thing, and I notice these things. Um, what Johannes is pointing out in this article uh, I think really underscores the need for an ORM, something to abstract that database layer away from developers, right? And this yeah. is kind of a theme that I'm on, being a security person and a developer in the same role today. As a, a developer, I don't want to have to, and a security person, like let's put this in perspective, right? I don't want to have to worry about security problems, right? Like where and how I store my secrets how I interact with the database and is it secure or not are not questions I want to be asking. I want to write code that performs awesome and it and just runs so fast. I want functional code without bugs, right? I don't want to have to worry about I gotta do those first two things and also worry about like is my code secure? I want to abstract as much of that as possible away from the developer, right? Right. And in Johannes's example with uh, interacting with the database, I think an ORM or some kind of database ex- abstraction layer that's doing much of that sanitization allows me as a developer to say, I want code that runs really fast and I want code that doesn't crash. Right? Yep. Like basically, like, those are my goals. Most coders right? want, yeah. yeah right? And, and have that functionality there without uh, worrying about that uh, security aspect of it. So. That was my comment there. 11 tips and tricks to write better Python code. I thought was a really good article and one that you should look at. And there was one more in there. New features in Python 3.9. Definitely worth checking out. I, and I'm like, and when is Python 3.10? Are we going to have to all convert? No, it's going to be 3.9.1, 3.9.2. Like, yeah. and, con- and here I am still fighting with Python 2.7. Uh, <laughs> oh, Larry, I am there with you and I'm ready to pull the plug and be like, I'm just going to convert to Python 3 because I've read so many articles like this about the new features in, <laughs> in 3. I'm like, yeah, like let's just do it. Pull, like, pull the plug. Yep. Like, yep. 
so yeah, so so here I was. You know, we, we turn in a course update for six seventeen, uh, and then one of the last steps is to run this Python script against the USB to generate MD five hashes and, and mm -hmm. stuff. And it's on my new Mac, and I only have Python three installed, and it's a Python two seven. Oh, and Josh Wright wrote it. So I oh. I, I, re I reach out to Josh, and I'm like, hey man, uh, I'm going to open an issue for Python three support. But uh, I'm going to do a port. I'm going to see if I can do it because it's a super simple script. Uh, but it was 1130 at night, and I had had a couple of yeah. adult beverages, and <laughs> I started. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to put this away. And I got up the next morning, and I'm going to look at it. And he sends me a message on Slack and says, oh, hey, if you want to check out this branch in GitHub called Python 3, it's already done. I'm like, Aww. you mother. <laughs> but, uh, there, uh, there's some cheats in there too, Larry. Um, a lot of uh, like linting tools will uh -huh. tell you like, hey, your project is Python 2.7. And guess what? I'm going to tell you all the things that you should be doing in Python 3 so like you can gradually do that conversion. Now, one uh, script... Just, one script just, about every, just about every one of them was a print statement. Yes, and print, print statements print are a huge, big problem. Yeah, yeah I mean, huge that's yeah, you when you're When you're looking at larger applications, uh, you don't use print. Uh, well, you use true, uh, yeah. a logger object, which ab abstracts away the print uh, statement. So then that comes down to basically all the things left in Python 3. Joff did a, a, a webcast with BHAS on converting from 2 to 3 nice. uh, in, in, in Python, right? So it comes down to all those other things. And if you can put that in your linter, right, you can kind of be like, like fix it as you go and then work or like work towards 80% of that point and then be like, all right, look, let me just throw the Python 3 interpreter in there and see where I'm going. It looks like 3.9 is still in beta, so I think 3.7 or 3.8 is kind of where you want to be. Yeah. Once you're there, I think the transition is much easier. My concern is what happens when Python 4 uh -huh. you know, comes out and we all have to do this transition again. How long is that in the future? The deprecation dance. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's okay. They got, a new, they got a new parser coming out in 3.10 that they're talking about in this. Wonderful. Right? Yeah, so you go from 3.9. But a lot of the changes that I've noticed... And I don't know if it's so much functional as it is security related are very much focused around the typecasting, right? Because Python is dynamically typecast. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to specify a type. Nope. But right. as I've said before, once you get to about 10,000 lines or more in your Python application, like type becomes a thing that can really bite you in the ass. And conversion to Python 3 uh, in any iteration is going to help you uh, in your type conversion, so much so that like when you define a function, you can define what types are accepted by that function, yes. and a lot more extended functionality uh, in the type uh, yes. uh, definition and checking inside of those functions. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to slowly evolve towards C. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, no, but it, it, you say, it, and I know why you're laughing, right, Doug? But like, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like being Type unspecific has oh, it has huge advantage advantages, but it's sloppy. As your project gets larger, uh, it's because it's sloppy as hell. Oh, I know. I, I totally. It's just a giant sloppy mess. You just throw everything in a pit and hope hope it survives. Because uh, I have Python projects that are very short, concise, uh, finite projects. Python pit. Yeah, the we, Python. We yeah. See, that'll fix you on that loose typing stuff. 
right? Uh, larger projects, loose typing is a pain in the ass. Uh-huh. Shorter projects, it's great. It's that shorter pro- that's done. why uh, scripting languages and compile languages always yes. existed because scripting languages are supposed to be for smaller projects, but now they've expanded to the, oh, wow, here's Python. Let's use it for everything. And it becomes a problem because of typing and memory use and all these kind of things that don't matter when you're writing 100 yeah. lines of code. When, when you're writing 100,000 yes. lines of code, yes. all of a sudden, wow, it actually does matter. But what's interesting with Python is they've recognized that and they've slowly they started are. building They're in slowly in becoming C. But really, like walking the line, like not becoming C, but giving you the capability exactly to do that to, do that. to have so the smaller projects in the larger. Projects. It's turning into yeah. two things. So yeah. it's it's one thing is now just the traditional. It's a great way to solve simple problems but they're they're starting to say wow so many people are using this we might need to have something more comprehensive like so many people it, have python projects that are over 10,000 lines hell of code. yes and it's like wow uh, nobody we know right no yeah no way man they all I, our, our project is probably has hovered around 10,000 lines yeah, of code for and the that's past getting three, ugly if you're years, just if yeah. you're non-type specific it's like yeah. a giant yeah. mess it's a yeah. ball it could be pit. Wor- it could be worse. It could be 10,000 lines of PHP. Oh, my God. I agree, Larry. Don't even that say be, stuff like that. That would uh. be, like, way, way, oh. way worse. That's like going to the ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese in the COVID pandemic. Uh, and licking all the balls. Yes. Yeah. Agree, Larry. Dude, don't, take, don't take that out of context. Okay. No way. <laughs> exactly what it's like. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. I think on that note. Yeah. I had all the... Yeah. Anyway... Uh, Larry, take us out. <laughs> <laughs> Over and lick all the balls. 